Well, I used to be a stripper back then when I was 17, 18, 19 years old, and I made the boo-coos of money. I'd bring home at least fifteen dollars to $2,000 a night in my boot. And uh, I've always been a sexist one in the family. I've always had comments from thousands of people. Hi, guys. Welcome to an extremely special episode, a crossover event, if you will. You are seeing this in both your feeds. Uh, it is going to be on both feeds of Smushroom and Feathers in My Hair. But hi, Troy. Hi. How are you? I'm good. We are bringing to you on this Thanksgiving day something that Troy and I have been talking about doing for a solid three years. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> like I feel like the first time we ever messaged we like talked about this probably we did no we 100% did like this was like one of the things that bonded us and we are finally giving what the people demand which is we are going to talk about the most iconic documentary of all time which is the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia just a quick heads up guys this is going to be the only episode you see this week from both Smushroom and feathers in my hair I literally can't even put into words how excited I am. Like, I've already watched it just to prepare for this, like, three times. <laughs> it's, so, I was trying to remember the first time I saw it, and I think at one point it was streaming on Netflix, because I think that must have been how I saw it. I vaguely remember being in, like, I remember what apartment I was living in, which is kind of how I judged time between a certain period of my life. Yes. You know, like, if I was living in this apartment... Then it was between like 2012 and 2000, or I guess 2011 and 2013 is when I lived there. So it was like, I lived in that apartment for two years. So it was sometime in then. And it was when I was living in that apartment that Netflix streaming and Hulu like really became a thing. And I got a Roku and I got rid of my cable for the first time. So I got, that's like when I got into streaming. I mean, I've been illegally downloading for years and years at that point. But this is when I like got into streaming and I somehow found the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia and was like, holy shit. I think that I, the first time that I saw this, I want to say that this is the first time, but it's my first memory Mm -hmm. um, is I remember somebody speaking of illegally downloading, like around college time, somebody like put this on like a DVD, (laughs) like they had like downloaded it on like LimeWire or something like some website and put it on a DVD and was like passing it like around to our friends. Like that's, I'm 89 years old. Yeah, we used to pass around, um, there was one kid on my floor that would torrent before I could really figure out how to do it. And we would pass around a hard drive <laughs> and people would just like <laughs> move the hard drive files onto their laptop. I would still do that today first. Yeah. Of all. <laughs> I mean, same. Um, if, do you want any of the 20 seasons of Law and Order OG? Because I got them on a hard drive, baby, because they did not stream. <laughs> oh my God, USA Network is quaked right now hearing you say that. I do not torrent anymore. I stopped doing it when I was living with my last roommate. I'm sure I've shared this on the podcast before. And she, the cable was in her name. And she goes, she sends me a picture of a letter she got. And th- my old roommate, like, God bless her soul, is like not an internet girl at all. And was like, do you watch the show Pretty Little Liars? Uh, because I got a weird letter about it. <laughs> like, being oh like, could God. you not get us in trouble for downloading Pretty Little Liars? And I was like, 
Okay, I guess I'm going to stop quarantine. Sorry, girl. <laughs> oh my God, that's amazing. She was like, isn't this the show that you watch? Like, trying not to accuse me of, like, doing something. The FBI wanted to call you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think that was, I think I found it on Netflix. I think it used to stream on Netflix. Netflix used to have a lot of documentaries. Like, a lot, a lot. Yeah, like, when they first started doing, like, when streaming for Netflix first became popular, they, like, hit you with every documentary that was iconic like they put out like jesus camp and this one mm-hmm. and like all the ones that people like like the the like the staples you know the, the yeah. touchstone documentaries before there was like i mean they didn't have original content yet and mm-hmm. there wasn't as many like tv shows available on there yep. and i watched a lot of docs i've always loved documentaries like yep for as long as I can remember, like, knowing about them. And I think that goes back to, and you and I are very similar about this, like, just, like, my need for, like, sensationalized news. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, very much so. Like, knowing that it's, like, raw, you're like, Like, show me a documentary, like, and I will believe it. Like, I am an easily influenced, like, love a sensationalized news story, like, love a, not really a conspiracy theory, but, like, show me that type of shit, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, yeah, okay. I believe the last thing I read every time. <laughs> so yeah, The Wild Wonderful Whites of West Virginia is a movie that I like to go back to basically yearly. Yeah. It's kind of a touchstone in my life. Yeah, it's like, the crazy thing is that every time I watch this, this is one of those things, it's like the sixth sense where every time I watch it, I feel like I notice some other thing or... I don't know, mm-hmm. like, there's always something that I pick up on that I maybe didn't before, or, like, my reaction to people is different. Like, this time I had a really strong reaction to, which we'll get, like, obviously we'll get into it, but, like, there was one part kind of towards the middle that, like, hit me in a way that it never really has, and I was like, oh, like, this is just the, a flower that keeps blooming every year. It really is, and we decided it's perfect for Thanksgiving because it's about family. Yeah. I don't know what it is about this, but for some reason it, it does really give me Thanksgiving vibes. It really does. I don't know why. Yeah, like, it does. Because it's like a cozy little movie about a family. <laughs> <laughs> so basically the premise for those of you who have not seen it, I suggest you watch it. I rented it on Google Play. Amazon only has it to buy, not to rent, which is annoying. It's also available like on streaming sites if you want to stream, but I like to watch it on the TV. It is worth the $2.99. Beyond, yeah, for sure. It's basically about this one family in Boone County, West Virginia, who have notoriety because the father of the family was a famous clogger, I guess would be the word for it, dancer. Yeah, Yeah. a stepper. Yeah, well, he invented, like, a type of step dancing, a type of mountain step dancing. And this movie just, like, really appeals to, like, all of the things I love, which is, like, drugs, dysfunction, hillbilly mountain shit. Like, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> this movie really was my gateway to, like, as a young person, like, hillbilly mountain culture. Just, like, oof, it hit me like a, like a, a, a wall of bricks. Yeah, I think, so I know I read, if you've never read it, the book The Glass Castle first, because I I read that my freshman year of college, and that takes place, a large chunk of that book takes place in, like, a poor town in West Virginia, so I think that was my first, like, taste of it, but this was definitely, like, oh, I want to know all about this. (laughs) Have you, 
actually, did you ever see American Hollow? Yeah, of course. <laughs> okay, so that was like like 98-ish, like 99, like late 90s. So like that was probably like truly my first intro to Appalachian culture that wasn't in like a horror movie. Yeah. So I don't think I saw that until after this on YouTube. Okay, yeah. American Hollow is another one that if you've never seen, you guys should definitely... That one's got to be on YouTube or something. It, I'm pretty sure it is. There's also, if you're interested in this stuff, there's like a Diane Sawyer 2020 special uh, that is... Oh, yeah. Maybe just called The Hollow. The oh, Holler. my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there, so there's like a good amount. If you type in like West Virginia Holler, which is spelled H-O-L-L-O-W, by the way, but it's pronounced Holler. Yeah. Um, into the YouTube search bar, like there are documentaries, which it's been a thing since for the people that don't know, like in the sixties, I believe RFK, not JFK, RFK, when he was attorney general and they were really working on um, like the welfare program and food Mm -hmm. stamps, they would go into these towns in West Virginia to be like, look at the poverty of our nation, like at your back door that you didn't realize that there are people still living in America that don't have running water, that don't have electricity because they would go into these isolated places. And I think that's when like the kind of like the anthropological start of like studying the people from the hollers. It's interesting. And like um, one of the things that I like took away from watching The Wonderful Whites this time that I had never really, you know, when you get older, like you kind of pick up on like the nuance of things more. Than yeah, like, the, when uh, you see it for the first time when you're 20, you're just like, this is so funny. Yeah, like this is great. Like that guy's nuts. His teeth are black, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but like I, I picked up on like the the share of talking about how, um, just like the history of the people of this town. Like Yeah, the coal. The coal yeah, like, of it all and the yeah. The coal mining of it all and how like it's just a, a community of people where like the government comes in and takes what they have, like basically strips them and then leaves because they it's such a resourceful little mm-hmm. part of the world and they're just a product of being used and abused by the system and it's just crazy. Yeah, for sure. So basically the premise of this movie is that they are following a family around the father was a famous clogger. His name was D. Ray White, which is D. Period R. A. Y. Not D. Ray, like the Twitter guy. Um, and he had a bunch of kids and a bunch of grandkids. He was murdered eventually, and his son Jesco White got a little bit of notoriety because PBS did a documentary on him. And I would bet that the original pitch was to go up and check in on Jesco and kind of Jesco alone, right? Like. I would imagine, like, that's kind of how they were like, let's go do a movie on Jesco. And then they got there, and they realized that the women in the family were, like, 10 times more entertaining than Jesco. 100 million thousand percent. Like, he actually took a backseat to his own documentary. Yeah, I think part of it is that, um, so in the movie they talk about, Jesco used to, like, uh, sniff gasoline. And that he, like, really deteriorated like half of his brain huffing gasoline they make a joke that like uh he used to say that he could smell the difference between premium and regular yeah (laughs) which is crazy like pure ethylene ethanol ethanol i think is what it's called it's 
crazy, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to make it about Jessica and he was kind of too crazy. Yeah. Like you, there's no way that you could film him for an hour and 20 minutes or however long this was and have any of it be like, there's no storytelling. You know what I mean? Like he's just, yeah. like he is perfectly like, like what they used him for is what he could give. Mm-hmm. Just clips of him saying wacky shit. He's like the Kramer of this documentary basically. Yeah, a hundred percent. So Jesco is definitely the in that this is about. I think also the issue is you can tell sometimes he seems really lucid and sometimes yep. he seems like you, like there's no following what he's saying. I think that with the women, at least they're just like drug addicts and they could like follow them around partying and like they may yeah. be slurring, but they're still like making sense to a degree. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't be surprised if Jesco just wouldn't answer the door sometimes because he maybe thought the cameramen were coming to kill him. Like there was like, he had a deteriorated brain that sometimes was lucid and sometimes was not. Yeah, there's definitely a feeling that I don't really know if I'll be able to explain, but when you watch this, there's this feeling of like, the people filming this are just like in danger, like all the time. Like, uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, vic- like, not victim, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, like they're, um, like anything can happen to them at any moment. There's guns mm-hmm. everywhere. Like it's just so fucking wild situation. And uh, I him, yeah, when they're fucking snorting zannies and then taking the guns out and like doing baton twirls with them. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even fathom the shit that they didn't use of Jesco on like a bad day. Of yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Basically, the family is like notoriety in West Virginia and kind of, I guess, in like pockets of country music. Uh, Hank Williams III, who is, I guess Hank Williams Jr. is the famous one. Is Hank? Yeah. I don't really know country music that well. I'm not going to pretend like I do. I think Hank Williams Jr. is like the big one. Yeah, it's like Dale Earnhardt. And yeah. then his son is also not very famous because the original, I guess the original, I don't know. Basically, like Hank Williams III from my understanding, he's, like, famous, but also, like, a nepotism type of thing. He's not, like, the most famous person in country music. Oh, one thing that I want to mention is that this is produced, weirdly enough, by Johnny Knoxville's production company. Yeah, and every time I watch it, I think to myself, why did he not just make this a second career? Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't understand. People are riveted by this 10 years later. Like, hello. Yeah. So, Basically, the I would say the main character of this... Well, I would say there's two. I would say it's Mamie White, who is yeah. Jesco's sister. She's kind of positioned as the matriarch. Um, she kind of walks us through her family tree. She is our in into the world. And then, of course, the other star is Kirk, right? Um, yeah, I would say so. I mean, definitely Mamie is like... I mean, she says that she's the biggest, the maddest, and the, and the meanest. Like, she's yeah. the one. Um, and yeah, this, this is like, Kirk is like the B-plot of this whole thing. Like, her sobriety story. I always forget that her scenes make me cry. Like, that's a thing that I always forget, too. Yeah, you start laughing, and then you're like, you want to just like, oh, it's just awful. Yeah, it's really sad. Um, I will say the most, every time I watch this, this movie is not... Um, <laughs> I would not call this movie a celebration of a family. No, this is, this is like, it's, to be honest with you, this movie is actually about 
a family that this town believes gives them a bad name. You know what I mean? Like, it's actually about this town coping with this fucking renegade family. Because it proves the town people right. (laughs) Yeah. And it, like like proves the idea that like not everybody is like like they're trying to show like we're not all like this we were we don't take advantage of the government like we're normal people and we think they're crazy too we're not a, a an entire like location of just like people with, for the like, beware signs <laughs> yeah yeah it's just very much like there's no there's heart at this movie because it's like funny Right. But there's no um, message that these are actually good people on the inside. No. And they don't want you to think that. Like, they're not trying to, like, make their story, like, appeal to people. Like, they're more so just saying, like, this is how we live. We yeah. don't give a fuck. Like, this isn't, like, um, there's no, like, happy ending. You know what no. I mean? No. And it's definitely, like, yeah. Like, I also don't think, like, the filmmakers were trying to, like, tell, like, an uplifting, heartwarming story at the end. You know what I mean? There was no, no. like, well, they may be drug addicts and they may be murderers. <laughs> yeah. Like, but they're actually really good people on the inside. Like, that's not really what this movie is about. This movie is about, you know, it's like a gawking movie. Like, we're, we're supposed movie. to gawk at them. Yeah. It's like, ele- it's an elephant man tale. Like, honestly, it's really just, like... And, like, Jesco says it best at the end when he says, like, we've, my family, it makes no sense that we've lived this way. Yeah. It doesn't, like, we don't know why we're this way. And it's as if all of us collectively decided that we are going to live, like, we're in a movie and just die young and live fucking hard. And, like, that's what they do. Yeah. They basically, at the very beginning, go through the family tree. And the oldest son, Mark, was, well, the dad was murdered in a shootout. Um, the oldest son, Mark, was murdered. Dorsey accidentally shot himself while cleaning out a, a gun. Pony, Pony, I don't know how they pronounce his name. It's spelled P-O-N-E-Y. Uh, I wrote he, it as Pony. I don't know. He got, he got in trouble and kind of moved away to Minnesota and kind of escaped their life. Yeah. And then the rest of the movie is a collection of grandchildren and sisters their mother, Bertie May, raised 34 children and had, what did they say, like 11 of her own? Yeah, 11. And there is just like murder in the family. They all love to fight. They love to cuss. They love to fuck. And the scene stiller is Sue Kirk, known as Kirk. Yeah. And I swear at one point they said she's the granddaughter of Bernie May. Her mom is Bo. I swear at one point she says her mom is in prison for, oh, her dad is in prison for double murder. Yeah. And they try to get her as an accessory to it. And she said, just send me to jail. Kirk is uh, comatose most of this movie. Yeah. Kirk is like what Anna Nicole's life would have been had she not like moved away. Like, yo this like what was anna nicole's uh cousin's name shelly shelly like aesthetically accent like everything about shelly is the wild and wonderful whites yeah like 1000 i think of her a lot when i watch this yeah there's also uh me a cousin named sue bob who was a stripper and she's always been the sexiest in the family (laughs) She would come home with $1,500 to $2,000 in her boot. She's got titties that are known in the town. When she walks into bars, they say, 
here comes Sue Bob with her pretty titties. <laughs> a dream of mine. Sue Bob, I would say, is kind of the, oh, this is so mean, it's kind of the definition of, like, hit in the face. Like, yeah, she does have a banging body. She does. Like, it's crazy, actually. Like, she literally looks like a teenage girl. She looks like a 19-year-old, like, hot girl from the neck down. Yeah. It's crazy. But then from the neck up, she sounds like an old man and looks like an old man. Yeah, I would say the best thing about this movie is the quick jumps between scenes to family members. I think that this movie does such a good job, which kind of makes it a little hard to talk about, like, just following my notes. Right. Uh, I'm really saying I like, didn't take great, great notes on it because I was just typing as like the movie was going along. But the fun of this movie is that we're never with one person for very long. Yeah, I like that too. And I like that they, it, it's almost like the movie understands that the family tree is kind of confusing. And it doesn't matter. Don't it doesn't matter. It. it just adds to the chaos of what's happening. Yeah, I think we're also supposed to understand that like, while that's her mom, they all go to prison, they all go to rehab, they all you know, they're always, like, in and out. Yeah. CPS takes one, so another one takes... Like, I think we're supposed to understand that, basically, even if they're... Cous- like, they were collectively raised together, lots of passing around the family. Right. And then a lot of them are dead. Like, a lot, a lot of them, of are, them dead. are dead. So, it's like, there's no point in even kind of trying to figure out the family tree. Um, but once you watch it enough times, like, if you watch it more than once, you do kind of figure out, like, who is connected and how. Yeah, I also think it's just, I think it could get boring if we were, like, staying with one person for too long, because I think at a certain point in shock value, it starts to get boring, you know? Like, you're right. like, okay, I get it, I get it, like, I right. get it. But the way that they, like, the mastery of this film is that they just quick cut so fast, they're like, great, we're back at Kirk. And then by the time you're like, okay, Kirk, like, this is a little much. We're watching, like, Derek swing a gun around. And then by the time we're like, oh, God, this is a lot. Then we're back at Mamie. You know what I mean? Like, it really jumps. And it doesn't, it, like, adds the chaotic narrative, I think. Like, we're supposed, I think, like you said, like, I think we're supposed to feel confused about who's related to. Like, they don't care to, like, throw up chirons every time they're on the screen to explain the exact relation to everybody else. Like, we just need their name, and they're white, and that's all we need to know. Hey, guys, we'll be right back after a quick break. Yeah, because, like, in their world, it doesn't really even matter. You know what I mean? So, like, we're, like, just in their world, and, like, I feel like we get these really, like, um, chaotic moments, whether they're, like, sad or scary or like funny like it's just constant and like intensity the whole time there's no moment of like even when it's like chilled out it's you're like crying you know what I mean like it's never like (laughs) well even when they're chilled out you notice someone's in the back like doing lines literally yeah literally (laughs) (laughs) or like somebody's like holding a baby and like doing something really like not okay at the same time (laughs) Whatever it may be. Yeah. So we do a quick cut to Bo's house. Bo is Kirk's mom and her brother Derek is also there. And this is, to me, like, this was the scene that made me, like, fucking lose my mind over this movie. Me too! I watched it and it still is. And Bo's talking about how she did crack and cocaine, but what she really likes is marijuana. And Derek looks right at the camera and goes, I'll tell you what I like. 
I like Roxycontin. I like Oxycontin. I like Percocets. I like Valium. Ooh, I love Xanax. Xanax bars. Love the Xanax. Then he picks up a pill bottle, shakes it, deadpans. You know what I call that? Boone County mate and call. Oh, I used to be water in the back. I used to try a little coke here and there. I smoked a little crack. You know what I mean? I've tried this and that. My favorite buzz, choice of buzz, is marijuana. I love marijuana. I'm a pothead. I'll tell you straight up what I like. I prefer a Roxy <laughs> Cotton, a, a Lorset, a Norico, a Viking, and Ez, a Percocet 10, a Xanax, especially a Zanny Bar. Right here, listen. You want to hear the Boone County mating call? I'm good, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm like, he's, that's what I iconic scene like that's like the scene from the trailer you know what i mean like yeah i feel like when i saw that i was like oh it's gonna be like this <laughs> that and also um Bo saying uh when she she says from the heart we're just good old down and dirty white people hillbillies <laughs> i'm like fuck oh my god <laughs> holy shit <laughs> i think i've ever heard anybody say something like that like it, like, I've never heard those words spoken from a person. You know why this is also kind of great? I mean, in the end, they get into this a teeny tiny bit and we'll get there. But, like, at this point, I don't think I'd ever seen, and remember, I watched this when I was, like, so really into doing drugs. Right. I don't think I'd ever seen, like, people, like, drug addicts on screen being a mess, openly using that wasn't, like, this is intervention at the end. And we're, like, Ugh. sending you to rehab. Like, gotcha! Yeah. And, like, we're not, I don't think, at least, we're supposed to watch their pill use and be, like, <gasps> send them to jail. <gasps> send them to treatment. Like, we're just watching people get fucked up and have fun. And, like, yes, of course, there's negative consequences. Like, I'm not saying it's good, but in a way, like, the best part about this movie is that they're not trying to, like, like I said, one, they're not trying to tell us they have a good heart, but right. they're also, like, not coming in with this, like, moral, like, drugs are bad and these people are bad for doing drugs. So, like, we're going to, like, especially at the time this came out, like, intervention was still really big. Yep. Like, really big. And there's just not this, like, overriding like can you believe they're doing drugs can you believe they're doing drugs they're like nah we're doing drugs because we love to get fucked up and it's yeah. like, funny and like it shouldn't be funny because they're drug addicts but like it is funny and it's their truth and in a way that was like raw as fuck in 2010 you know but isn't it still like, wouldn't you say that, like, if you watch something right now on TV, even if it was on, like, HBO or something, the way that they're using drugs in this, like you said, there's no narrative of, like, you're supposed to feel this certain way. They're just casually using drugs in the most high-octane way I've ever seen. It's just non-stop. <laughs> and it's, like, they just don't, like, the thought of it maybe not being something they should do on camera hasn't even crossed anyone's mind at all yeah. i would also say this is kind of to take it a little deeper this is like at the beginning of the anti-hero tv show you know what i mean like mm -hmm. was breaking bad even on in 2009 Mad Men was yeah like, Mad Men just started but like did nurse jackie start this is pre-shameless like yeah tony Soprano. was on because i do remember like being obsessed with weed so this is like it kind of came out at this moment of tv when we were like i know the soprano started the anti-hero 
Like there had been a couple, but this was kind of like when we were like really rooting for the bad guy. Yeah. And yes. this kind of fits in with like the whole anti-hero like TV thing that was going on. But I would honestly say this is very like, I felt this way again the first time I found Shameless. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. And was like, oh, this is so fun. They're like openly doing drugs. And like the characters are kind of doing drugs like I do them. And like, it's not the main point. <laughs> yeah, and like they're just existing. Like they're yeah. not like, yeah. they're poor and they just are poor and that's just it. You know what I mean? Like that's yeah. just what it is. Yeah, because the drugs like... The drugs are in almost every single scene of this movie. Yep. They're not the main point of this movie at all. No, it's literally, I got so used to seeing them smoke little joints rolled with what I believe was notebook paper, it looked like a lot of time. Um, I just tuned it out. Like I wasn't even, I, sort of, I literally was like, of course that little girl's smoking a cigarette, duh. Like it like becomes so normal. <laughs> So we do get uh, a little montage of the lawyers in the town, like the authority in the town, like defense lawyers, prosecutors, uh, judges, and cops kind of talking about the white whites. And one says like, you know, if we could eliminate 10 families from this county, we'd have no crime. (laughs) (laughs) These poor people. First of all, they're like afraid to even talk about them at the beginning. They're like scared. Yeah, well, and one of the guys is like, you know, there's a kid from here that's like, came, he's so poor and he got into MIT. Like, why aren't you following him? Yeah, I know. I Which love that part. It's meta commentary. And it's like, because to be honest, we don't care about good people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'd rather watch these renegade people take advantage of the system and just raise hell. Yeah. Um, Derek describes how he had, he hit someone, he had to hit him again just to watch the blood fly because it turned him on. I'm going to be honest with you. This is alleged. I don't know for sure. Nothing can be 100%. But if I was like an Appalachian gal, I would definitely fuck Derek. I'm just putting that out there right now. A hundred percent. Like. (laughs) And Brandon, to be honest. (laughs) Oh, are you kidding? Derek has like literally like heartthrob features. I was like, wow, if he lived in any other city, it reminds me of like in The Simple Life when they met Chops and they told him he was a star. I was like, I would meet him and be like, I'm going to make you a starlet for real. (laughs) (laughs) honestly he has charisma and he's funny he's funny (laughs) and he can tell a story like later when he's talking about brandon he's talking about his daddy just being dead like i was like yeah he was like derek is yeah i was gonna say derek's actually my favorite character in the movie old dirty white boy yeah <laughs> Mousy is my favorite character, but we'll we'll get to her. Obviously, Mousy is great. And by the way, just so everyone knows, we called my grandmother, my mom's mom, Mousy, <laughs> but spelled like M A U S Y because that's how you spelled in German, and they were German, and that was my grandfather's nickname for her. And then like all the grandkids, like my grand, the nickname we used for my grandmother was Mousy. So that's I really cute. loved this Bloom family, white family connection. <laughs> that's adorable mm-hmm. so basically one of the lawyers is like they never work and they always have money and then they like quickly pan to showing them all dealing drugs oh my god but it's not okay it's like well i can't i wonder if they were had, had people at that point still going to florida did you watch that once 
what's that Laura Lee? Not Laura Lee, that's YouTuber. Uh, Laura Ling, is that her name? What is her name? Lisa Ling. Lisa Ling. Laura's her sister who got stuck in, Yeah. <laughs> remember, North yes. Korea? Like Bill Clinton had to go get her out. Um, but Lisa Ling did that, what was it? I think it was called the Oxycontin Highway. And it was about how the, you know, the people would go to Florida and like drive all the way back to Kentucky and West Virginia and just like get all those pills from the pain clinic which is how opioids became oh, such a huge problem yeah. in West Virginia is that, well, basically for anybody who doesn't know, here's a really quick recap on why opiates are such a fucking problem in West Virginia. Way back in the day when Oxycontin was first invented, the makers of it basically lied to the doctors and said that it was not that addictive. It was not that, it was not serious and they really pushed it. So doctors started writing oxy scripts for everything, basically. And what we obviously know now is that Oxy is extremely addictive and it gets you extremely high. At the time, especially, they had these pills called Oxy 80s, which were 80 milligrams, which are like do not exist anymore. Like, I think they make a version that is similar, but it's not re- like, like in drug circles, like if you're around people who did opioids at a certain time, like, and you talk about Oxy 80s, people are like, ugh, back in the day. You know what I mean? Like, it's like a four loco back in the day, you know, like four yeah, loco yeah. now is different than what it used, like what it really was. Right. And Oxy 80 is like the, at the time was like the best, most prized pill of all time. They would sell on the streets for $80 a pill because oh they would God. go for a dollar a milligram. Um, which is pretty standard for opioids and how you charge for them. So a bunch of people got hooked on oxys, like a bunch of people basically because doctors were overprescribing them at the encouragement of the pharmaceutical companies. And then Florida had these things called pill mills, which don't really exist anymore. And because of the way the laws are written, Doctors could basically open up shops in Florida and people would go there from wherever. You didn't have to be a Florida resident and could get like hundreds of scripts written at a time. Maybe not hundreds, dozens of scripts written at a time. Just dozens and dozens and dozens of scripts for Oxy-80s, Percocet, like whatever opioid you wanted. Then they would go to the pharmacy next door and pay to fill them. And they would do it without insurance. You know, it was like $150 to get into the doctor. The doctor basically pockets at all because they're not using insurance. Then they would go and fill them and it would be like hundreds of dollars to fill them, but then they would go in a pill that just, you know, let's say they got a bottle of pills for 30 or for like a hundred dollars, yeah. 30 pills, they could then sell for like $900. Um, Holy fuck. So the markets just got flooded in places like West Virginia, Kentucky, Tennessee, basically these rural areas that didn't historically have access to heroin because heroin is a port drug. You know what I like? Heroin isn't made in the United States, so heroin has to be brought in. So a place like Philadelphia never really had like a huge opioid pill problem. I mean, it did like a normal amount, but never like rampant because people would just do heroin because we got good heroin. Because we're a port city. It's easy to get heroin into New York. It's easy to get heroin into Philadelphia. It's easy to get heroin into Baltimore. These places, it's easy to get dope into. But these places like West Virginia, like by the time they would get heroin, it would be so stomped on. It would be disgusting. They would get black tar. It just like wasn't good drugs. And all of a sudden, they had like this essentially unlimited access to opioid pills because they would go to Florida and get them. And that's like a very, very basic rundown, but that's 
kind of how like the opioid problem like got so bad and especially still in 2009 when they like were 2009 is like when they were starting to crack down like the mid 2000s when they like started to crack down but you could still there were still tons of doctors writing like crazy scripts everywhere not just in florida if you weren't filling through insurance you could still be going to pharmacies that weren't necessarily closely monitored by the dea it was just still easy to get a lot of opioid pills and it just became so popular in these places that historically like didn't have good access to opiates I mean, honestly, it's just so fucking crazy that, like, (laughs) that part of the country is this place where we all, like, nobody is, like, fighting for people that live in, like, the holler. You know what I mean? Like, there's no group of people that are, like, we need to get down there and save these people. They are, I actually wrote it down. The mayor says that they're, they're a product of mountain culture, geography, and isolation. And I don't think I've ever heard it put, put, like, better. Like, they're so isolated and like we all know that they're there they're almost like do you watch handmaid's tale yeah they're almost like when you get sent to like those uh the colonies those, yeah the colonies like yeah they, they're there and we know that they're all dying young and like putting gatorade or uh mountain, mountain dew, dew. baby bottles and shit and we don't care yeah it's very true and part of it is isolation and of course with the internet that's like changing things you know what i mean like people mm-hmm. just aren't as isolated anymore but yeah, I mean, you can watch, like, The American Holler, which came out in 1999, and they don't have one running water in their houses. Yeah, and they have all of these weird... The other really weird thing about that that area is that they it's such a, like, there's a plethora of, of like, uh, resources for things that we need. And, like, that's, like... But we know that we can go there and get them from these people for cheap, like... One of the things that I love about, uh, I get my hillbilly documentaries confused sometimes, but one of the things that I love about American Holler is that they uh, they show them, like, collecting, like, the Viagra route <laughs> because it, like, comes from the Appalachians, and, like, that's, like, a major, major source of income there. But they get, like, a, you know, a couple cents a route yeah. from the government for this pill that is, like, you know, it's just insane. Yeah, I would say the other thing is because of the isolation until so recently, a lot of these places, you know, pre-internet, a lot, I mean, a lot of really rural places can still barely get internet, but pre-internet, not good access to cable TV, is that the culture just didn't assimilate with the rest of America. Yeah. And that's why I think people like me, I'll speak for myself, are so interested in it. Yeah. Because it's like, there's not, I mean, there is a distinct culture in the South, of course, in the Northeast and California, but like, it's all kind of similar because we watch the same TV shows and see the same movies and like, wear the same clothes and things might be a little different, but we're all basically the same. And then there's these like very isolated hollers that it's been the same families, same people for generations and generations, just making like one culture that's pretty different from us, from me. I know I I 100% agree with you and plus like if you I mean like there's a part of your like in your brain you can rationalize like somehow ending up in a scary part of the south like you know and having to drive through it or whatever but like there's no part of you that can even rationalize ending up in a holler like it just seems like this weird yeah. folklore place that uh, like, yeah exists, it's folklore but... that's exactly it it's like American folklore it's... yeah 
it's like fair, fairy tales and fallacies type of thing. <laughs> All you can do is fantasize about how scary it would be. Yeah. So we see this, Mamie describes to us that basically she gets prescribed pills that she buys for $10 a pill or $8 a pill. And then she goes and sells them for like $11 a pill. And she says that's called hustle, wrestle, and bustle. And that's how you survive in the country. <laughs> <laughs> she's everything. Yeah, she's funny and quick. Yeah, she is. So we get a scene of them celebrating Birdie Mae's birthday, Birdie Mae being the mother of everybody. Uh, and it is probably the craziest scene that's like ever been on TV. Like, <laughs> I think it's the craziest scene of the whole movie if you really want to know. I 100% agree. It is the craziest scene in the whole movie. Like when you're watching it, you're like, <laughs> is this really happening? So it's this woman's 84th birthday. She looks 102. Yeah. Like all these people were road hard and put away stopping wet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They all look like old men in the face. All of them. Yes. And so it's Mamie's birthday party. Uh, they sing to her happy birthday as she's holding up a <laughs> porcelain doll wearing like a headdress. Like <laughs> It's like a plantation doll. It's the weirdest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. And then they, Mamie and Jessica start just blowing weed in Birdie's face. Like blowing weed in this old woman's face. And she's like covering her 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 nose and gagging. And it's like so fucked up because it's like it's so crazy that it feels like a parody. Like it literally Yeah. You've yeah. never seen anything like this that hasn't been on SNL. Which this movie walks a fine line. Yes. 100%. And that's why it's so good. I think the editors, I would imagine the editors and the producers and the filmmakers did an incredible job of capturing these people, but I bet there's a lot of cutting room floor scenes when they're acting out too wild for the camera to a point that if it was mm -hmm. included, you would watch it and be like, they're acting. Oh, like, yeah, you're playing right. it up. Because obviously yeah. you watch it and you're like, well, they're playing it, but like anybody plays it up for the camera. Like that's yeah. fine. That's natural. But I, I would bet that they kept this as tight as they could on like making sure it didn't, feel like a parody because if this movie felt like a parody it would not work 1000% agree with you and I also think they do a good job of allowing you to because at the beginning you're going to laugh at this inappropriate stuff it's yes. like inevitable like it's funny just, it's fucking funny and it doesn't matter how many times you see it you still laugh at the same inappropriate shit but they do a really good job of kind of towards the middle and end like not really making it sad, but just, like, the shit that you thought was funny before. Like, you... Do you know what I'm trying to say? Well, yeah, you've been in it for longer. You've been watching it for longer. And you're realizing, like, this is their day in and their day out. Yeah, like, this so is, So it's, like, like less fight because they're not performing. Because at the exactly. beginning, you're like, are they performing? This is a lot. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> it's just unbelievable. So... While you're watching them do this, you see a child, like, quickly run across, um like the screen kind of at the bottom of the screen and you're like there's a child there mm -hmm. which happens often in this movie where i'm like there's a child they they use kids to to anchor you yeah bitch laugh until you see this little girl with a marb light that's very true when like all of a sudden they pan to somebody that's not talking and you can mm -hmm. hear what's going on in the background and the woman's just smoking a cigarette while holding a small child yep. and like blowing the smoke in their face 
that's not a, it's not fun. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they're doing it on purpose to be like, oh, there are children getting fucked up here. Yeah. Like this is warts and all. You're seeing all of it. Like, and literally in the same three minutes, you will belly laugh, be mortified. You'll cry. I mean, like you cannot, like, it's just the, the wild, it truly is the wildest ride. Yes. Um, so at one point, Les White, who is Birdie's adopted daughter, or son comes over and like, you see his dick, which I always forget about. That yeah, me too. I'm always like, oh, dick. For it's so like, ah. long. For so, for a full 30 seconds, you see his dick. <laughs> it is not a quick flash. He shakes his hips, <laughs> and you see that dick and ball swinging. And then when he turns around, <laughs> maybe like throws him into a bunch of glass, and they <laughs> oh, all think yeah. it's so funny. There's a candle. I'm, every time I'm like, <gasps> candle. I know. Every single time, I'm like, oh my god. (sighs) And their cousin Annie Mae comes over with pills, and they just, like, are openly snorting pills and, like, passing them around. And that might be the first time we see them, like, actually snorting pills on camera. Maybe not. But that, that to me, like, that, that scene is, like, the craziest scene in the whole movie. It really makes you feel like I cannot, I think there's something so crazy about watching these people act that way in front of their mother. Yeah, I mean, like, seeing a decrepitly old woman just rock in a a lazy boy recliner while her fucking kids just race hell around her and cough in her face and, like, blow smoke. Like, it's, like, it is unimaginable. Like, you've never seen... Like, I didn't know that humans, like, this existed until I saw this. Honestly, I really didn't. So then we go back to Kirk's house for... I would call the most famous scene of this movie. Like, if you bring this up and you say, like, the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia and someone knows... Like, to me, Boone County mating call is the funniest part. But, like, the most iconic thing is if you bring it up, somebody goes, Dennis's, yeah. and then holds up their middle yep. fingers. That's, like, yeah. the For the sure. scene stealer, if you will. You and Dennis, tell them that damn bastard hit you. That yeah, we fought, but he's not famine. Absolutely. Yeah. So they go over to Kirk's house and you hear Kirk go, Don't you think six cans of pop is too much? To her like <laughs> six year old kid. <laughs> Kirk is a, the reason that I personally love Kirk is because she's so fucked up that she can't play it up. If you started some <laughs> with me, it would be I'd like I thought you. Like Kirk is <laughs> vulnerable. Like she's vulnerable in a way that nobody else in this movie is. Honestly, mm-hmm. she's just she's not doing anything for the camera. She literally is just being honest as fuck. She never lies once. Oh my God, you know what Kirk really is? You know Drop Dead Gorgeous when they come over to the trailer park and Alice and Janie is cutting the mom's hair and she's like, oh shit, are we on cops again? <laughs> like, that's Kirk. <laughs> oh my God, she's I like, love that. And then when she realizes she's not on cops, she's like, all right, y'all want to come in? <laughs> and like, let them come in. She's like, y'all want to hear about when I stab Dennis? That's when you really, that's when I figured out who Kirk was when she said, like, 
when she asked them, like, is, are people going to see this? Is this going to get out? <laughs> and they're thinking, obviously, like, well, yeah, like, you, you probably are going to ask us to cut you admitting to a uh, murder. And she's like, I want to say it. Yeah, like, that part like, is what? incredible. So basically, Kirk is sitting, her son is, like, doing backflips on his bed. He's actually quite good at gymnastics. Um <laughs> And Kirk is just explaining she has this ex-boyfriend named Dennis. He screwed her cousin, so she stabbed him. She says that her grandma, Birdie Mae, cleaned up the blood and got rid of the knife so that Kirk couldn't be arrested. And Kirk says, I meant to slit his throat, and that's for real. And then she goes, oh, wait, are people going to see this? And as a watcher, you're like, "Uh uh-oh. And the producers, they leave in the producers, which I think is a brilliant editing choice. it's amazing. Because the producers are like, well, yeah. And you can kind of hear them do this production thing where they're like, they want her to keep talking, but they also don't want to like lie to her and make her think like she has cutting power or, you know right. what I mean? Like they're, they kind of answer like, well, yeah, anything you say, like we are going to use in a way that's like kind of warning, but also like if you just told us this and we're not cutting it. So like, and Kirk smiles and goes, and that's great because I want Dennis to see it. And they're like, okay, yeah, well, then you can just keep going and see whatever then. Yeah, for sure. Keep going. Say as much as you can. She says, I mean, I'm a people person. I'm a people person. And then her son, Tyler, rise in, comes in and kisses her right on the cheek. And this is when you start to be like, Tyler is the heart of this movie. He, beyond, I still root for him. Like, he is without any doubt the thing that will make you lose it in this yeah. movie. And he's in the background in this, like, uh, like tent thing that he has. He talks, you've never heard a more stereotypical Southern child. Yeah. He speaks kind of like an adult, but also very childlike. He sounds like he's speaking in parody. Like, he's doing a <laughs> hillbilly character. It's like unreal. He does. And he goes, you tell Dennis that that, that damn bastard hit you. <laughs> and the way that he like raises when he says like, tell him he hit you. Like that's like such old like, school. Like, a, no, he's like, there's a skit going on and there's like a woman, a chatty woman standing in the background. And she goes, nah, you tell them damn bastards Dennis hit you. <laughs> <laughs> like he's giving you like, like so old ladies at the salon yeah. southern like steel magnolia southern and then he screams if i had a knife i'd slit his throat open and his nuts <laughs> and his nuts <laughs> <laughs> and she's like looking back like please but also like kind of like don't say that but also Kirk like is saying it at all times when tyler's talking like has this weird look on her face where she's laughing but no she yeah. shouldn't be laughing yeah and her only reprimand is quit cussing. Yeah. <laughs> she like knows that he's fucking hysterical, but she like knows in her heart how inappropriate it is. It's really funny. She says, quit cussing. Well, it's more like quit cussing or I'll beat that damn ass open so hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
then Tyler gets out of his tent, stands up, and goes, I hate Dennis. He's this. And holds his middle fingers up. He goes, Dennis is this. I think every uh, member of this family, including Tyler, admits to murder or <laughs> wanting to murder. I think every single person could be put in jail for murder right now. I mean, at the end, Mousy goes, Tyler, don't say that on camera. You'll get arrested. Yeah, that's the only reason she tells him not to say it. <laughs> so then we smash cut to six months later, which is, an I think, a smart choice by the production to go right to this. Me because too. we watch this and we see, how, like, the scene we just saw, like I said, Kirk is essentially comatose. Like, her eyes are not open. You have never heard a person slur like this in your entire yeah. life. Like, never. Yeah. And all of a sudden, uh, we meet baby Monica Faye and find out that Kirk is the mom. And it's only been six months, which means that scene we just watched, she was three months pregnant. Yeah. And you're like, <gasps> yeah. Yeah. They do these things to like startle you, <laughs> yeah. to make you almost feel bad about what you just laughed at. Mm-hmm. They That's exactly it. Because you are laughing so hard at Dennis's this. Mm-hmm. And you're like, this is wild. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden, in your head, you're like doing the math. Yep. You're like, wait, only six months? It's like, fuck. Oh, she was like really pregnant then. Yeah. Like not just a little pregnant. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Not like she didn't know she was pregnant. Like she was like in her second trimester. And she like is passively telling this story about how like, her and this guy tried to kill each other. (laughs) Like, what the fuck? So Kirk lets us know that she got pregnant before she stabbed Dennis. And then we get probably the, I don't know how to like judge these scenes, but I would say the most shocking scene in the movie, right? Uh, Easily. This is the one that I think everybody like remembers the most. And Kirk and her cousin, her cousin is there with her. And <laughs> can we just talk about her cousin for like a quick second? <laughs> her cousin? Okay. Tell me if I'm wrong, but kind of out of context, her cousin seems totally normal. Like, That's what know, I was going to say. Oh my God. <laughs> like when you just look at her and you listen to her, like she doesn't read like the rest of the whites do. She, she looks, looks very like, different, first of all. All the whites are pretty thin. They kind of all have similar hair and a look like this is a big fat lady. Like you could see her like at your target today. She literally has the face that like when you see her, your immediate reaction is like, oh, she's going to talk some sense into somebody. Like she looks like the kind of gal who's going to like talk some sense into someone. You know what I mean? She yeah. just looks like she is, she looks normal. Like she literally very. You out at the dollar store. She does not have. I mean, I don't know like how to say this. I mean, there's really no way to say this nicely. It's like she does not have like the trash look that the rest no. of them have. No, she's got like a full baby face, and yeah, it's weird. Like even so when s- she's doing debaucher shit, I'm still like, <laughs> is she gonna snap out of this? So you see the cousin, you're like, oh, sh-. immediately you're like, oh, she looks like a good influence. Yeah, you're like, oh, good, she's around like maybe like a normal person. Yes, that's the, your immediate thought. Like, oh, thank God, at least this lady's there. And Kirk's talking about how, like, she wants a better life for her daughter and she doesn't want her daughter to live a life like she does. And then you see the cousin and you're like, oh, maybe they have, like, one sane family member who, like, comes around when people have babies or they need mm-hmm. help. And then all of a sudden, 
Kirk stands up, walks over to a table, and you kind of notice what she's doing. <laughs> and she looks right at the camera and she says about the baby, she's going to be the next Miss America, Miss Universe. And then, well, maybe she did this part first, but she just like leans over, looks around and snort, like crushes up a pill and snorts it in her hospital gown in the hospital room. And like, I also wanted to say like, now I don't know if anybody here ever snorted pills, but pills can be very thick and hard to snort depending on what pills they were. And I noticed how fucking fat those lines looked. Yeah. This is like, a pill is a lot different than doing like Coke or heroin, like something that's meant to be snorted. Um, which is usually much thinner. Some pills, like especially opioids, are really thick. And like I looked and like my stomach turned and I was like, those are huge fucking lines. They crush this entire pill up into two lines, one for each of them. And just like the powder looked so thick. I was like, oh, I don't know how she's doing that. For one thing, she crushed it for less than two seconds with the <laughs> pill bottle. So she yeah. basically snorted a pill. <laughs> yeah. Like, that was not a fine crush. No, she gave it maybe a couple minutes of elbow, elbow grease and was like, all right, that's enough. It was like two big chunks. Yeah. And then her friend, her cousin does like a crazy grin and does her line. You're like, oh. You know, oh, okay. Okay. Um, and then Kirk is leaving the hospital. Did you notice she was what looked to be smoking inside the hospital room? She was. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I see that scene, I'm like, is that what I think is happening? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. They just, every room that they walk in, they make it like their room. You know what I mean? <laughs> oh my, they do. They show that there's like ramen noodles. Yeah. Like, Who the fuck is eating ramen noodles in a hospital room? Where's their <laughs> microwave? Every room um, Mammy walks in, she kicks the door into, literally. <laughs> <laughs> she, does. she literally does. I love, I started counting it. I was like, fuck yes. I love that energy. Um, yeah, there's Cheetos and ramen noodles in the room. Like, they, they want us to know that they've, like, trashed this hospital room. Like, yeah. they were partying. Because they yeah. were. Yeah. And they're like, well, the baby has to stay for 72 hours. And Bo, Kirk's mom, comes to pick her up. And then we get this weird story, which I also, like I said, I just think the editors and the producers just did such a good fucking job on this movie. Because, like, you're left with so many more questions and answers when Belle is telling this story. She's like, well, when I had you before I even woke up, my parents had the adoption papers and they took you from me. And it's like, so wait, is Kirk legally adopted by, like, by the grandparents, like Birdie and D-Ray? Who who raised Kirk? Like, you have so many fucking questions and they're just not answered because they don't matter. Yeah, you're just like, again, they just don't matter. Like, they don't even bother to... Like, she even says, like, I'm the one that cooked you for nine months, and then they took you away. And I was like, what? (laughs) But she's sitting there. Yeah, and you're also like, so Birdie was responsible, but then we just saw, like, a scene and a half ago, Birdie getting, like, fucking weed blown in her mouth by her kids, and, like, her having no control over the situation. (laughs) (laughs) And, like, just the, the generational, like, you know this is just what happens to us girls of it all. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So they go back to Bo's house and Derek pulls out a huge gun and like clears the magazine like six times or whatever. And then just starts flipping it around like a baton. And someone in the house goes, 
be careful. And he goes, didn't you just hear me checking? And she goes, no, the ceiling fan. He's like, oh yeah, I already knew that. That's why I did this. He like couldn't be wrong. <laughs> like he's like, nah, it's clear. And like everybody assumes that she means like make sure that there's no bullet in the gun. There's also a little boy fan. There's a little boy walking directly towards the barrel of the gun. And he goes, Moo, Junior. It's like, did his name have to be Junior? Yeah, well, that was Derek Jr., his son. Oh, okay. See, so many fucking kids running around. I can't keep I noticed that because in this he was with Bo when they went to pick up Kirk at the hospital and he got a Derek Jr., Derek's son. Oh, okay, 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 okay. Uh, Derek then yells, this is how rednecks do it. <laughs> and then he pulls out a tattoo gun. And our anchor, so we thought, <laughs> is all of a sudden topless in Derek, her licking. Wait, Derek declares, he's like, this is hard to do on Xanax. Did you write down the name? Uh, Miranda Raven? Thank it? you so much for writing down the name. <laughs> <laughs> the The three full minute debate of how it's spelled was just a lot for me we get a incredible scene of our cousin getting a tattoo on her arm by Derek who has a full tattoo gun yeah um this is no stick and poke Mm -mm, but he did have to stab a knife in it to get it to work real quick yeah they're like where's the alcohol (laughs) (laughs) and Bo's like why don't you pull alcohol out before you got the gun out the thing that I love too is like she was getting a tattoo and then halfway through she's like I want Miranda Raven on my arm too yeah like they just, were doing her back she just decided halfway through he was doing such a beautiful job that she also <laughs> wanted it on her arm and then they go back and forth M E no no M uh is that an E or an A <laughs> it's like he didn't want to admit to not being able to spell it <laughs> So he kept acting like she was. I also think that she wrote it down and he couldn't read. Uh, Yeah. He's like, because is that an E? And she's like, yeah. (laughs) He couldn't read it. You know what, though? I will say it looked pretty good. He did a good (laughs) job. (laughs) Why did it look so good? Again, I'm going to rescue him and bring him to Hollywood. I'm not kidding. The the kid is a star. Get him working for Kat Von D. Does she still have a show? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> we'll get a lipstick named after him. <laughs> so in the next scene, Mamie is going to pick up her daughter, Mousy, from prison. Yay. And Mousy, in another life, is very pretty. Oh, for sure. Mouse has got that good, like, I was in prison, like, full face. Yeah. Like, all you know what I mean? Like, all she could do was just, like, eat, like... Honey buns eat. and rocks. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. She's my every... She's my favorite person in this movie. I love her. I agree. Mousy is a star. She, like I said, she has really good skin, Yep. Her the craziest thing about her is definitely her clothes and her eyebrows. Fix those. Like Mousy, you'd be like, oh, she looks normal. The thing about this family is that all of them have their own version of like comedic timing. Yes. Mousy's funny as fuck. Yeah, like she could do a full hour special for Netflix. Like she's funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so Mamie is or Mousy's like, I'm not on parole, I'm good. And Mamie just looks at her and goes, you'll go back in two weeks. 
<laughs> She's like, what makes you say that? Like, girl. <laughs> it also, also should be stated that she is truly mad. I'm going to do a special episode about her and uh, Charles. Literally. <laughs> she is in love with her man who doesn't want her, has cheated on her, like seems to have tried to escape her because she has to travel all over the at the Appalachians oh, to yeah. find him. Like she hunts him down. So we hear about her husband, Charles Green, and we find out that he has like multiple women pregnant. At one point, last time she went to prison, he moved her cousin Kirk in. And when she got out, he kicked Kirk out and Kirk cut up all their wedding pictures and <laughs> cut up all Mousy's clothes. <laughs> Because Kirk is an icon. I know. I was the first time I saw this, I was like, oh my God, they're gonna fight. I was no, so scared. But then at the end, they're like basically making out. Yeah, they're like best friends. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. There's no love lost between the whites. You know what I mean? They fuck, yeah. they fight, and then it's fine. Yep. So we then take a little detour to Minnesota to see the one brother who got <laughs> out. He is still very redneck, very white. He's wearing the a pot leaf hat, but he works. He goes to work every day. He's a painter. His kids, I guess, were born and raised mostly in West Virginia because they have accents. And the kids talk about how, like, at school, the teachers hated them because they just knew they were the dirty white family. Yeah. And there was nothing for them there. And every all of their family in West Virginia are just losers and drug addicts. And it's kind of an interesting comparison because they're not – it's not like you look at this family in Minnesota and you're like, oh, well, they really escaped and made it. And they're so classy and different and great. Right. But it's like, at least they have a chance, these ones. Yeah. It's almost like you get into this weird mental place where like looking at them, for them to be like the dream yeah, is like wild. You know yeah. what I mean? Like they made it out and like they're bragging about going to school and, you know, like he works and... They just seem so normal in comparison to everybody else. Yeah, for sure. And also, can we talk about his nephews? One of them was hot, right? What the hell? Why were there no <laughs> models in the house all of a sudden? <laughs> He's like, you know, they stole from me too. He's like, they start them young there and boom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so then we visit with Brandon, who is Sue Bob's son. And basically he is in prison and he's, well, he's in jail and he's awaiting sentence. And we get the story of what happened to Brandon and it's great. They cut between three people, Billy, Brandon, and then, well, I guess a bunch of people, but basically the main people telling the story are Billy, which is the guy Brandon attacked, Brandon himself and Derek, Brandon's cousin, who Troy and I love. Yeah. Um, And I guess Derek and Brandon were probably best friends is the assumption that I take from that. And yeah. basically, uh, Brandon's like, well, I got caught with a bunch of guns. And then they let us know that Brandon shot Mamie's boyfriend, Billy, <laughs> in the head <laughs> three times. Yes. But all of them, by the way, three days after his dad died, he was unhinged. Yeah. yeah. So Billy says that it's over a truck. And then they quick cut to Derek. And Derek says... That shit ain't over, wasn't over no truck, like Billy says. Brandon sold Billy a gun for a truck. <laughs> He's like, I know the real tea. Yeah. 
That's also why I like Derek, because he's a little gossip. He is. You could definitely tell. And uh, Brandy, Derek says Brandon's daddy had just passed on. <laughs> yep. And Billy called and said, I'll bury you next to your cold, dead daddy. And he just got up. He was sitting right here. He was sitting right here. He just got up. He walked out the door and that was it. <laughs> and like, again, you're, this is, you're like pretty much in the movie now. So this is like, feels normal. And I was like, yeah, of course he went and shot him. <laughs> yeah. After he said that, duh. And they feel the same way. Bo is like shaking her head up and down like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, they're like, like, yeah. They shut it. They do a quick uh, Sue Bob flash. It's like, well, his daddy had just shot three days before. Yeah, it's like, so of course, uh, he went and shot his and face. And Brandon's like, you know, I was just ripping and roaring after my daddy died. And Brandon went and shot Billy in the chin, in the head, like in the skull, and, and in the eye. And Billy has very few visible scars from this, by the way. Shock. I mean, he looked better than me. I was like, <laughs> how did he get shot and have to put his eye back in? But he, like, looks... <laughs> and then brandon kind of like held himself up and he had a shootout with the police it's went on for like eight hours and brandon goes it was a hell of a knot can you imagine okay i want to ask you a question sure (laughs) am i crazy or did he describe a scenario in which he his eye was when he got shot in the face his eye was coming out and he couldn't see so then he replaced his face back like he was holding his face together so that he could see out of his eye yeah imagine how many pain pills he gets for that for life mamie probably loves it oh my fucking god yeah he said he thought his eye had fallen out because he couldn't see out of it he's like i picked the skin up but it back where it come. I was like, wait, did he didn't say he picked up his skin. And Mamie, it's still Mamie's current boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> and like a full day shootout? Like what? And Brandon's just like, well, you know, it's a hell of a knot. Like for real, these people all do live fast and die young. Like they just all, they really do live like they're all in their own movie. A shootout with the police is fucking insane. You would think this would be, like, for some reason I always forget about this part of the movie. Like, yeah, it's like the least consequential part of the movie. Yeah, like, it's very chill while he's talking about this, like, shootout and shooting somebody in the face. So, Jessica, we get, like, I don't know. To me, this is the least interesting part of the movie. Which part's coming up? Jesco talking about how fame is hard for him and sniffing oh, the gasoline. I don't okay. know. Jesco is the least compelling part of the movie to me, and he only works in scenes when he's like given a quick quip to the camera, and then we flash back to the other people. I'll be honest with you. I only found this part interesting this time. Okay. I, I I've always never really been into him, but there was something about this. I don't know, 3,000th watch. I was like, huh. <laughs> um, I don't know. There was just something about him explaining that, like, he like he has to keep being crazy because now he mm-hmm. is, like, an image to uphold. And them all being, like, his image will definitely kill him, kill him like, for so sure. So it's, it's Truman Show-esque, right? Like, and yeah. it's kind of, 
like a meta commentary on reality TV, which was definitely in full force by 2009, but still not like, this is pre-influencer, like bloggers were just becoming a thing. So there's definitely like an aspect to it of somebody that's literally killing themselves for fame. Yeah, like he talks about like how he, you know, everybody in town obviously knows where he lives and people travel Mm -hmm. from other parts of the country to come ask him questions and, you know, they come to his house and he puts signs on the door that says keep out and they take them as souvenirs or write notes on them and like he just he's he actually is elephant man like he's the Appalachian elephant man now yeah yeah I like you're right there is an interesting thing about how like if he stops acting the way that he acts then people don't care about him anymore so he can't stop doing that and I mean it's especially relevant in 2019 yeah and I thought I guess this time I picked up on this and I'd never thought about it before, but um, I think it's Mammy that says during this scene that when their dad died, that they all, that he was the first one to like lose it. Mm-hmm. And then they all sort of followed suit. Like he helped set the tone for like what this family became by like yeah. not being able to deal with the death of their dad. But also like, is that true? Because D-Ray was killed in a shootout. <laughs> so like... I know. I thought that was weird too. It was like, so the people before who all just died real young, real fast, yeah. you know, a lot in a row were just... That was the normal days? Yeah. I think that's Mammy, um, like, holding her dad into in an esteem that wasn't necessarily true. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, he invented the step. Yeah. He did. Uh, So this is when Birdie Mae has a stroke and ends up in the hospital and Mammy kind of loses it. Yeah, this is like one of the first times that you'll cry for sure. Yeah. Seeing her in the hospital and like, ugh, and like when Mammy has that tear stream down her face, it's just sad. Yeah. Uh, So right after that, Sue Bob goes with Kirk to go pick up the baby from the hospital. Wait, sorry. And, You're skipping over a very important scene. Oh, yeah? Okay. Where she's laying in bed. Oh. And Mammy says, Mama, they gonna come bring your medicine. And she <laughs> grabs her and use, uses every ounce of strength she has to lean up and says, I ain't snorting no pills. <laughs> that was... She's like, you're not ridiculous. snorting them, Ma. And she laughed. <laughs> she thought it was funny. Like, that was horrific. Sorry, go ahead. It was horrific because <laughs> this poor mom is like, oh my God, they're going to make me snort drugs like my crazy kids. <laughs> That's the only way pills are ingested. Oh. So Kirk, they go to pick up the baby and Kirk is in the fast seat. I mean, the front seat, like fully passed out. Like, I know I was joking that she was like comatose earlier, but like Kirk is just passed out in the car oh, on the way yeah. to go pick up her baby yes. from the hospital. Yes, where she's supposed to be making a good impression to get her daughter. Subab literally has to shake her awake, and the cousin is there in the parking lot, and they're like, CPS took the baby away. <laughs> I'm like, wait, what is the chain of events that led to like Kirk being the last to know what's going on? <laughs> what is happening here? And also, can you not like so casually deliver that news? Like, like this is just something that just happens all the time. Like well, the baby's now just gone. They took her. Baby CPS. <laughs> it's like, okay. Yeah, you're right. She pops up and then goes, they took her. <laughs> like it's just like somebody somebody else picked her up from school. Like, no, 
the government I, is in possession of your child now. I guess they went into the hospital to see the baby and they told them that the baby wasn't there because CPS took her. But it's just so informal and so weird that this is how Kirk, like a caseworker didn't call Kirk when they took the baby. They just took yeah. the baby. Like she would have gotten there and just not known what was going on. Like they just took her kid. I guess they, I mean, honestly, they probably did. Yeah, but I just, like, I'm surprised. I mean, and maybe a, co- a caseworker, like, had called her, but, you know, she doesn't have a phone. She, like, yeah. God only knows. She just like, ignored all the phone calls. <laughs> I feel like they know that there's a certain level of, like, uh, professionalism that they don't have to uphold in this part of the country. With this family. Yeah, there's, like, let's take the kid. So Kirk literally starts moaning at this news. She goes, uh, that's oh, how God. She- it is. Oh my God. Subhab starts crying and oh. Kirk's like, I'll just run it in traffic and they can just kill me. And the cousin's like, even the hospital says it's unusual. <laughs> oh my God. Is the cousin actually like the most iconic person in this documentary actually she is she really is because she looks so fucking normal and then she like is just like casually talking about cps taking kirk's baby away and she's like i just don't know kirk i don't know look at the baby and then they all keep going you'll get her back they can't keep her for more than a couple days it's like yes they can i know i was like she's gonna end up the baby's gonna come back where she belongs home it's like i don't know if that's how it works No, they maybe at one point says they can only keep her for 72 hours. It's like, it's not a sight cold. Yeah. yeah. Like, she had drugs all in her body. Like, she's yeah. gone from, from you. So, then the second most iconic line comes, or, like, scene. I would think with Dennis is this being first. They, yep. on the way home from the hospital, they go to Taco Bell drive through And Subab asks for fajitas. And the person working is like, huh? And she's like, don't y'all got them fiestas? <laughs> and he's like, what? <laughs> and, and he's like, y'all mean gorditas? She's like, just give me a taco, a soft and hard. <laughs> ah, it's like, fuck the specialty menu, god damn it. Y'all got them for steak fajitas? <laughs> And then I love when she they definitely like, says fajitas the first time and then corrects herself to fiestas. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I don't speak Spanish, sorry. Um, but I love when they like Spanish, up a little bit. Uh, Troy, you know, she said, I don't know, y'all speak Mexican. Yeah. <laughs> I love when she pulls up at that like nice lady who this like This is the crazy to okay, I know I keep saying this. This scene is like otherworldly when you watch it. They are driving to the, they're like in line waiting to get to the win, the drive through window and they can see inside the dining room and they see someone they know. So they start honking and they're like, Kenny, hi. And then Sue Bob, I'm, guys, I need everyone to remember that there's a window. Like the person is inside the restaurant. Sue Bob is in her car and Sue Bob goes, CPS took her baby. Like CPS, her baby, <laughs> and the lady's like this really sweet woman, just smiling and waving. She's shaking her head up and down and going, "Ah, uh huh." <laughs> you know, it's like some woman that like bagged their groceries once. Like she like doesn't <laughs> know them. <laughs> C 
CPS took her baby. <laughs> Which even uh, if that woman was within earshot, like, did that need to be shared? I know. Like, can you not, Mom? Hello. Sorry about you. Wake up, head over there, Yeah, give me What's a case uh, of the day. Uh, the steak and cheese, the heat only, with cheese and steak only. We don't have to eat it. You don't have to ask us? I'm sorry, could you repeat that? Why is it on your side if you don't have it? Are you talking about gorditas? Y'all have mozzarella cheese sticks. No. no. Give me two tacos, one soft shell, one hard, please. Could you repeat that order back to me? Yes, I got the hard cheese pizza. Steak gordita, which is steak cheese. Steak gordita, steak cheese. She's not looking. Took her baby. She had her baby. CPS took her. She's crying. Her. Oh, so good. So Kirk goes to see Mamie, and this is when Mamie's like, "They have to give her back." <laughs> she had to come back where she belonged. It's like, uh. And they decide, you know, they should just go out and get fucked up. Oh yeah, this is actually my favorite part of the whole documentary when, it's a nice like sigh of relief almost when they go get fucked up it's almost like a breath he, yeah it is um except then you see they like do a pan to kirk's like full postpartum postpartum belly oh yeah <laughs> and you're like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god all of a sudden they're snorting pills off the bar the top of the bar's toilet Mamie says their daddy's so strict. And then all of a sudden, Kirk has full euphoria makeup on. (laughs) (laughs) No, I love it. That's what I thought of, too. I was like, this is, like, very chic for now. She, all of a sudden, (laughs) Kirk has, from, like, her entire (laughs) lids covered in glitter. Like, glitter (laughs) eyeshadow. And I'm like, did she have that on when they went out? I love, too, like, before they leave when they're in the hallway... And they, they like planned a little thing for the yeah. camera. It's <laughs> Mammy goes, she goes, <laughs> I'm sorry, but this is actually my favorite part of the whole thing. She goes, where the main is? And then Subop goes, and the man is. And then fucking <laughs> Kirk goes, and the main is. Like she like yeah. completely could barely say it. Like they're Charlie's Angels. Kirk literally should be in a wheelchair that's pushed around. Like, every time Kirk is upright, I'm, like, quite nervous. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like, a corner is bound to, like, touch her head at some point, and I'm scared. So, Kirk is, after snorting copious amounts of pills, drinking a ton, she's in full euphoria makeup. She goes, you know, I just know God's gonna bring my baby back. This is God's plan. God's (laughs) gonna do right by me. (laughs) And this is another scene where uh, Mammy kicks the door into the bar when she, <laughs> when she walks in, the guy's singing, and the band goes, ooh, there goes Sue Bob with the prettiest titties I've ever seen. <laughs> He's got the prettiest titties in town in Boone County. <laughs> like, what? What? Oh, my God. And she gets up there and does her iconic, 
thrust. Seven people in the bar. <laughs> the reason don't have shirts on our plain slot machines because I guess there are slots and bars. Oh, yeah. I forgot about those guys that are like violently gambling over there <laughs> on slots. Yeah. <laughs> it looks really aggressive. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah. Oh uh, shit! That I love that scene when they're at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> the prettiest titties and boom. Oh, so then we go back to dear mousy and her daughter cheyenne who is like a great little butch girl yeah <laughs> yes. she, like has full you know who's exactly who she looks like the kid in trailer park boys oh my god <laughs> she literally does like she is giving you a lot of like she has on the bandana underneath the backwards hat like and a wife beater like She's like wearing she- Jinkos. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so all of a sudden we're just with Mousy and Cheyenne posing in front of a large Ten Commandments like sculpture. Oh yeah. <laughs> this seems really funny too. And Mousy goes, This is the one that Charles broke. Thou shalt not commit adultery. <laughs> Do you think it's like- Mousy's idea to go in front of the Ten Commandments sculpture? Yes, because she loves a bit. <laughs> Yeah, she loves a bit. You're so right. (laughs) And she's like, tonight I'm gonna kill him. And she goes, that's breaking one of the commandments. (laughs) She points to the one that it's breaking. (laughs) I was like, you two need a fucking NBC sitcom right now. So I'm just wondering, like, did production rent a van to drive them around? I feel like in one scene they're in definitely there's two cars involved in this. There's the van, and then also sometimes they're in like a little sedan. Yeah. I wonder one of them is like productions van. I definitely, definitely thought it was a production car. I felt like they were just joyriding. I felt like she was like, will you guys just film me all day trying to Yeah, fight? she called them and was like, I have a good, I, I have a bit. Yeah, like, yes. We're gonna, I don't know where Charles is. And so we're going to drive around and I, I'm going to, we'll go to one of his ex-girlfriend's houses and she and I will fight, which we see. <laughs> Bitch, I don't give a fuck what you say. <laughs> you can't tell me what to do. And it's just like a quick cut. Like, that's what's so good about this. Like, we're like following Mousy trying to find Charles, and there's just like a quick cut of her like standing outside of a trailer, like, bitch, I don't give a fuck. Yeah. No explanation. Quick cut to something else. Like, we don't stay on like the scene. Any other thing I feel like would just be like, it would all the focus would be on Mousy like screaming at this woman, but like, we just yep. need glimpses. Yeah, because every scene of this movie would be the best scene of any other documentary. Yes. It's just full of the best moments ever. Yes. <laughs> and finally they find Charles and he's with his girlfriend who I can't follow along if she's pregnant, has a kid by him. What the Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is. And he Charles comes out in like a pair of jeans and like a button-up jean shirt that's unbuttoned and uh the girlfriend goes get back in the fucking house <laughs> <laughs> and by the way charles is appalachian hot like he's like um like he's like really good i was looking. surprised the first Shockingly. time i saw charles i was like oh okay yeah okay. like of course you're chasing him around i expected charles to look a lot worse me too i was like i get it i get it while he's getting everybody pregnant and then all of a sudden we're in the back seat with charles with no shirt on <laughs> <laughs> And a he's rack been, of Budweiser's. <laughs> but he's literally been caught. Like, he is in the car against his will. He, <laughs> But also not. 
Yeah, also, like, loves the chase. Like, they have a really fun relationship. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Fun's a word for it, but yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she's, she's, like, just, she's, like, me-tooing him, like, the whole time. Oh. Like, just assaulting. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, this plays different in 2019. Yeah, like, she is assaulting him. She, like, forces him. They also found Charles's nephew at one point, and, like, literally... Oh, I can't believe we didn't talk about this. As soon as they find him, he has this big grin on his face. He goes, let's go find that motherfucker. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, the cameras are here. Let's go. <laughs> and you know that they're like, yeah, you guys can drink in here. Uh-huh. Yeah. Go ahead. They're like, we'll buy it for you. Uh-huh. We'll buy whatever you guys want. Uh, and Mousy is literally like titty twistering him so that he'll kiss her she is giving a blowjob to the bottle of beer talking about how she's getting dick tonight Charlie's like no you're not and she's like yes i am and she says it in a way that's like of all the you're like harem of girls in the mountains Mm -hmm. i'm she's like i'm getting the dick tonight me i'm the one (laughs) <laughs> then we get an incredible scene that I will never not be confused about every time I watch it about we go to see where Charles and Mousy got married which is a grocery store <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah it looked like the local version of like a more mom and poppy Walmart yeah like a general like it was almost store like a, yeah it was like a general store it was like a big K yeah yeah like a shitty shitty general store yeah and they say they went and got their Xanax filled, purple Xanax, which I don't even know what a purple Xanax is. I think they meant peach footballs. I wouldn't call them purple, though. I would call them the color peach. But they said they got purple Xanax. They went into the car. They snorted four. Then they went in. The pharmacist was a preacher. He took them to the flower section and married them. So I'm like, is this a legally binding marriage? <laughs> Every time I watch it, I have questions about the legality of their marriage. Yeah, I was, I'm always confused by that, too. Like, I was expecting to see, like, some weird fake church in there. Yeah, like, all of a sudden, a Las Vegas situation, but I don't think West Virginia has, like, I think Maryland has, like, on-the-spot marriage licenses, like Las Vegas does, or Nevada does. But I don't know if West Virginia does. But I was like, what? It, like, is, are they, le-? every time I watch this, I'm curious if they're legally married. They have a very, like, natural-born killers, true romance kind of love happening. Yeah, for sure. Um, then we get a little, like, flash across the screen that Charles slept at Mousy's house that night. He never went back to his girlfriend's house, but he does fuck her still sometimes. It's like, wow, it must be... I mean, like, it must be nice to be the the most decently attractive man in a boon. <laughs> we have women just chasing you all over the town to fuck you. <laughs> yeah. So then we talk about, like, coal and how coal affected the towns. Kind of what we talked about at the beginning. And they really use that as a lead-in to explain that D-Ray, the dad, really saw the government just, like, fucking with the people and leaving them out to dry. So he decided he would fuck with the government as much as they could. Um, Similar to the, like the FLDS bleeding the beast, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And basically D. Ray figured new social security laws better than anybody and got all of his children on disability. (laughs) I mean, so they're all on disability, but that's why they all don't work, right? They're every single one of them is collecting disability for being quote crazy. Yes. 
Okay. All of them. And I mean, Sue Bob says that she started getting her disability check when she was 11. Okay. She said, my okay. daddy started getting me a check when I was about 11 or 12. They also make the point too, another thing that I thought was really interesting. Again, all things that you would only find interesting, like post 30. Mm-hmm. Um, but they talked, when they were talking about the coal mines and like how, you know, being a coal miner is like, the, that is the option as far yeah. as like what you'll do. Um, and they talk about all, that you can die being electrocuted and having it cave in on you and etc and how um like it starts to become a way of life like when you live when you have a job that can kill you you live like you're going to die so they are it's a town cool guys out that died and like you just yeah it's like a normal thing it's a town full of people that are literally living like they're dying yeah not to mention like even if you don't i mean coal mining is the worst job in human not human history but one of the worst jobs ever you die black lung i mean it's just it's a horrific job it's so horrific and yeah you're living to die but it's your only option to support your family honestly i can't imagine what it feels like to i mean like a lot of people know what it feels like to live in an area that's full of like cubicle depression yeah but like to live in a an entire a town where every single person that you know is in the coal mines is just like crazy yeah or how about even worse which is now where they've stripped all the natural resources out of the mines so like there isn't you know what i mean like there's barely even any coal left yeah and there are these people just living there with no ability to make money because we've like ransacked and pillaged all of the natural resources out of the area yeah and the coals are sh- the mines are shut down and, and all the- they can do is sell pills because yeah why would they not literally <clears throat> um so maybe we get us oh yeah so basically the whole family is on disability and that's how they make money um and we get a scene of Mamie at like a street fair singing I'm a coal miner's daughter karaoke. <laughs> I always forget about this too. It's so like out of nowhere. She's just I for amazing. some reason always expect this to be at the beginning of the movie. I don't yeah. know why. Because like it's just such a scene that's like buried into my head. <laughs> and it's I mean, like, it's also again wild to see somebody sing that song. And it, like, means something so intense to every single person in the whole town. Like, they're all, like, throwing their fucking hands up and, like, worshiping. Yeah, because they're all coal miners' daughters. Yeah. Like, there was just, that scene is intense. Yeah. So, Kirk finds out that she's not getting the baby. And basically, she has to go. They don't, and this is, like, another thing, you know, they don't explain, like, and I think it's kind of a, a good choice. Not kind of, it is a good choice. Like, we don't get an ex- explanation of like what the caseworker says, like what the, you know what I mean? Like what, what CPS is doing, what exactly Kirk needs to get back the baby. Like mm-hmm. we're not giving a detailed explanation of the system that's happening here. We basically just find out like Kirk's not getting back the baby and then she's calling treatment centers. So we're like, okay, well then I guess she has to go to treatment to get the baby back. Yeah. It's very just like snap of a finger all of a sudden, like she's just going to be going to rehab. Yeah, and we listened to her do an intake over the phone. Um, I found this scene kind of shocking that she was just, like, able to, like, I, she must have called a million places. I don't know. Yeah. But all of a sudden, she's, like, <clears throat> able to get into this place, but she she calls and lists all the drugs that she does, which I had a similar experience when I went to rehab. 
Um, especially when I was in my set, like I went from one rehab right to another. And when I was in the second one doing the intake, because I'd been sober at that point for like 30 days, you know, cause I'd gone through like the first treatment. Yeah. Uh, I don't really remember it like that clearly when I was checking into my first rehab because I was just, I don't know. I was like just in such a crazy frame of mind. But for the second one, I like had been separated from drugs for a while and like was a lot more clear headed and was going down like the list of like all the drugs I did. <laughs> and I was like, yep, 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 <laughs> yeah. yep, yeah. Uh, yeah, I did a lot of that, yep. And I mean, I'm sure I answered yes to all those when I was in my first rehab, but I don't know. I think at the time I was like still so deep in it that I like wasn't thinking how crazy it was. And yeah. when we went through it the second time with when I had such a clear head, I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like it's a yeah. lot of drugs that I did. You um just casually be like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, of course. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think I remember like I remember this lady, and I can't remember exactly what she was asking me, but I had such a feeling of like, oh my god, I'm such a drug addict. It's some of the like not because she was judging me, like I'm sure she was probably in recovery too. She's working at the rehab. Um, but like my, I remember like being startled by my own answers to the questions. Like, yeah, it was like, have you done this three or more times? Have you done this three or more times? Have you done this three or more times? And I was like, yes, 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 yes. Like, <laughs> they all just said, duh, duh, duh. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of what Kirk's talk was like. It was like, she's like, I do prescriptions, Valium, Percocet. Mm-hmm, I take that. PCP. I mean, not all the time. And then at the end, she's like, I don't do angel dust. That's where she draws the line. Well, they asked her one other thing, and she said, nah, I don't do any of that. So I wonder if they're asking her if she did, uh, like, meth and amphetamine, because it Mm, seems like she didn't. Surprisingly, none of them seemed into meth. Yeah. (laughs) They really broke the stereotype. Yeah. So basically, she got a bed. She's going on Monday. We definitely, like... I'm sure she doesn't have health insurance. I was like, whoa, this, this was quick. But I wonder if maybe her caseworker was like, call this specific place. Like, you'll get a bed here. Yeah. Um, and she basically is 48 hours to go crazy. And all of a sudden, we're in a parking lot. Mousy is holding like a bottle of whiskey and is like, Sue Kirk's last party before rehab. Oh, was this was her last party? Okay, yeah. okay, 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 okay. The bowling alley party. The bowling alley. Yes. The girls night. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So then we get a loud, fuck you, Dennis. (laughs) (laughs) It's like the battle cry. (laughs) He used to blame for this whole family's problems. Well, yeah, because she got pregnant again by, she got pregnant by him. And if she didn't fucking get pregnant and the baby didn't get taken, she wouldn't have to be go to rehab. (laughs) (laughs) So fuck Dennis. She's wearing a, Sue Kirk is wearing a Playboy bunny shirt. Yeah. <laughs> which is already like four years past the Playboy bunny like trend, you know. It's like a Playboy like ringer tee. Yeah. <laughs> and they go bowling and are just going crazy. It's Mousy, Sue Kirk, and Sue Bob, I think, right? Yeah. They are going crazy. Uh, Kirk flashes the camera. Like, we see her tits. I oh, yeah. always forget about that. I'm always like, oh, Kirk's tits. And then that random creepy man in the front of the seat is like, ugh. Yeah. Uh, Mousy lets us know she doesn't need no fucking rehab. She said, I went to my rehab, the Correctional Institute, for 10 months. That's my fucking rehab. Yeah. <laughs> he also, Mousy gives a weird... <laughs> 
this is when you're like, oh, Sue Kirk has no chance. Um, when Mousy holds the bottle up and says, I want Sue Kirk to remember what this bottle looks like for when she gets out of rehab. Oh, God, Jesus, Lord. And you're like, wait, what? <laughs> We're all going to sign it. It's like, okay, thank you. <laughs> so it's the next day, and the three of them are, like, still fucked up in the car. <laughs> I'm assuming they just, like, didn't go home and, like, partied in that production van all night. I think that's yeah. what they did, right? I don't think they went home. I think that they just, this guy just had the wildest, like, couple days of his entire life. <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, there's one scene inside the bowling alley where it's just a close-up on Sue uh, on Kirk's face while she's peeing, and she's like, "I had to pee." Yeah, I had to pee a lot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she's such an angel. So you realize you're driving to rehab, and Kirk's son Tyler is in the car, and he goes, "I hate rehab." And she goes, "Do you know what rehab is?" And he goes, "No." Can we go to the dollar store real quick for a minute? <laughs> This is the most de- a heart fucking breaking scene. Yeah, this is the one. You, like you already are kind of like like during his. This is Dennis because you're like, yep. oh, this kid's out of control. But it's like still kind of funny. And in this scene, Tyler's like, I hate rehab, just like I hate Dennis. And let's go kill Dennis. And Mousy's like, you better stop talking about Dennis like that on camera. You're gonna get arrested. <laughs> and like. I don't know. There's just this moment. It's unspoken, but like, uh, Kirk like looks at her like, oh, he can't be talking that way. Like, just us girls yeah. raising these babies, you know? <laughs> yeah, truly. <laughs> uh, Tyler says, "Take me to take me to Dennis so I can blow his head off." Because poor Tyler. It's just so sad because you know Tyler, Dennis, because he's like what six in this yeah. when this is going on. And it's been, like, about a year of filming. So Dennis is probably, like, the first thing that he really associates with badness and, like, has a concept of being bad. And he, I think, kind of understands that his mom is about to go somewhere. And, like, he's probably, like, this is Dennis's fault. Yeah, for sure. And you also know that, like, he, I bet his earliest memories are of, like, watching that guy just do horrible yeah horrible shit to his mom yeah and she's probably like you know she's always a mess and you know she beats tyler's ass and yeah it's not great but like when dennis isn't there she's like amiable and fun i mean she's like fuck fucked up but like there's nobody pushing her around and in his little brain he's probably like i hate when he's like i hate rehab and i hate dennis he means like the bad stuff happens when dennis is here so like dennis caused this yeah i hate all the stuff that takes you away from me yeah yeah um yeah then he like in between being like i hate rehab i don't want you to leave he's like can we stop at the dollar store (laughs) (laughs) it's just like no we gotta go to rehab (laughs) jesus and then the craziest two things happen i keep saying this and i just said that again but all of a sudden they like run into pick up i don't understand how they meet him uh kirk's childhood sweetheart and he gets oh, yeah. and then then they pick up kurt's ex-husband maybe i'm assuming that's tyler's dad kirk's ex-husband and that's why he comes because then he gets in the van and like 
her childhood sweetheart and her ex like there's like a gaggle of eight people like taking Kirk to rehab in the production van. And then sudden she's like in this loving relationship with her ex-husband. I'm like, husband? Yeah. What? And he's like loving and like But I think the childhood sweetheart was also in the van. Yeah, that was confusing and, and felt very out of nowhere. I was like, where did he come from? Where were all you fuckers all week? Or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So it was just very confusing, but I will, I mean, I think we, it didn't say Tyler's dad, but I wonder if that's why he was there. Yeah, I I mean, yeah, that's what I kind of took from it, that he's like the actual father. It was just, it was really weird. Yeah, and he's like, so how long are you going to be there? And Kirk's like, I could stay up to two years. <laughs> it's like, what? <laughs> but she's like, I could be there two days. I could be there two weeks, two months two years like she's like that was also when i like i was already like wow she got a bed so quick in the rehab and then i was like wait she got a bed in an extended stay facility in 48 fucking hours <laughs> like comped because she doesn't have insurance i'm sure yeah i was like wildly confused by how she got this rehab situation it's just like this part is so sad because like the whole buildup to of the movie is like letting you know that she doesn't have a chance in yeah. hell. It doesn't matter if she stays for three years. Yeah, absolutely. And this is when, ugh, this is the most heartbreaking scene in this whole fucking movie. Kirk says goodbye to Tyler and he's wearing like a green goblin mask. Oh. <laughs> and you know, he's like crying under it. It's very, like, Big Daddy in the sunglasses. Yes. And you're just like, oh, he's such a little kid, and he doesn't I know. know what's going on, and, like, this is play, but it's also not. I know. Ugh. I know. And, like, he, she's his best friend, you know? And you can yeah. tell that he is so obsessed with her, and, like, he just loves her so much. Well, his entire short life is, like, obsessing over Kirk and making sure she's okay. Yeah. Like, he's six, and, like, his entire world is, like, making sure Kirk is probably... You know there are mornings where he, like, slaps Kirk's face to, like, get awake. Yes, absolutely. And it's kind of... Like, a lot of mornings. Yeah, it's very... I'm telling you, it's very fucking Anna Nicole and... and Daniel? Daniel, it is. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah, Kirk really is the Anna Nicole of this. And you know that he's constantly checking to make sure that she's not talking to that cheating bastard. Yeah. Because he has to. Yeah. And he's like six. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's like seven or eight. He's young though. Yeah. That's another thing. Like we don't get ages in this movie. Like we need to know how old anybody is. We don't need to know how young anybody is. Like everybody just is. I think the point is like we are only supposed to look at this like exactly what they show us. And then yeah. we can make our own judgments and guesses based on that. But mm-hmm. I don't think they want to give us like too much story, too much backstory, too much information. Cause I think that takes away from the point they're trying to make, I guess, maybe not point they're trying to make, but like what they're trying to present. Mm-hmm. Like, I think what really what they're trying to present is just like, we just followed these people for a year. We didn't set yeah. up any scenes. We didn't set up any storylines. This isn't supposed to be like a deep backstory on everybody 
Like, this is just the story of a family that lives in West Virginia. Here are some townspeople to explain it. Here's the one that got away. And here's what they look like in their day-to-day. And, like, you don't need to know how old everybody is. Yeah, you know, there's it could no... be anywhere from 36 to 70. <laughs> how dare you? Uh, yeah, there's no, there's no narrative. It's just, like, this is just these people's lives at the time that we came. Yeah. And, you know... This yeah. is how interesting their mon- this is like the mon- the mundane shit that they deal with. What they consider to be mundane everyday life. Yes. So they she goes to rehab, which is good. <laughs> and then we go to Brandon sentencing, who gets 50 years in prison, which honestly, like, yeah, he deserved. Yeah. I know. Just was like he probably would have gotten less if he actually killed him. <laughs> yeah. Well, he probably would have gotten less if he didn't have a shootout with the fucking cops. Yeah. I think it was the all-day shooting at the police that really was the nail in the coffin, for sure. Yeah. So he is eligible for parole in 25 years, and Subob says he'll be 47 when he gets out, and Subob says, and I'll be dead. And that's when I was like, how old is Subob? I know. I was. I know. I was like, I think she'll be alive in 25 years. She doesn't seem that old. And, like, why is her body so preserved? I don't understand. It makes no sense. Like, why does she have the body of a 21-year-old model? I don't understand. (laughs) She's the sexiest one in her family. (laughs) Which is also, like, a crazy thing to say about your family. Like, it's one thing to be like, I'm the best looking, but it's another thing to be like, I'm the sexiest one. It's her identity. Is that she's got pretty titties and she's sexy. Um, yeah, and then Jessica looks in the camera and says, you know, I probably would have gone less time if he had killed him. <laughs> it's like, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and then poor old Birdie Mae dies. And I'm, I've always been curious about, like, what the exact timeline of, like, Birdie Mae in the hospital then to Birdie Mae dying it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I would guess she died, like, quick, quickly after that hospital visit or during the hospital stay, but they kind of cut it up for, like, the dramatic ending and not okay this is insane sounding but you have to figure you're a document documentary maker and you're like how are we going to wrap up this year in the life of the white family kirk who you've been following around because she's fucking a scene stealer basically becomes your main character she goes to rehab great yep. then the matriarch dies like you can't plan a better ending on a documentary well, also, how crazy is it that they were there for her last year? Like, yeah. that they, they got her. You know what I mean? That's that what they I mean. got her on camera. Like, that's wild. And they were, able, like, that she died during this time so they could, like, bookends, you know? Yep. Perfect bookends. Yeah. Oh, ooh, um, that was dark. Well, you know, it's just the truth. Uh, her funeral scene is fucking wild. Insane. Everyone is in jeans and wife beaters. I know. It may, not, honestly, a single co- not a single collar shirt in sight. I immediately started thinking about how at my funeral, I want everybody in, like, jeans. I was like, oh, okay. this is, like, cash. <laughs> like, cash. <laughs> cash is not the word for it. <laughs> the kids are all taking turns burying her. <laughs> the pallbearers? They <laughs> show the pallbearers from the top. <laughs> They're literally in white beater. <laughs> walking the casket over you're like what is this they couldn't put on a t-shirt and they're all using their coal mining chisels to dig her grave which is like really insane they're using like the biggest i I was like wait is this a cemetery (laughs) (laughs) 
right now. I was really confused. Why are they thinking this herself? But I don't think it was at a cemetery. I think it was just a hill or in the holler. It was not a cemetery. It was just their cemetery. (laughs) (laughs) As Jessica walks around and lets us know. Yes. So Kirk goes to rehab. We catch up with her three months in rehab and she looks good. Yeah, she looks amazing. Like her hair looks great, first of all. There's nothing better than a three month later, four month later, whatever yeah. rehab reveal. There's nothing better. Absolutely. And the best part is you're like, oh my God, that's so great. She stayed for three full months. And you're mm-hmm. like so happy for her. You do realize like she's probably a little, as we would say, shot out. Like, she's, she's still slurring a little. Like, she's still yeah. a little slow. Like, you're like, permanent brain damage. Yep. But, like, she looks a lot better. And then you find out that she's actually going to get Tyler, and he's going to come live with her for five full months at, like, the, tra- I'm assuming it's, like, transitional living. And yeah. you're like, fuck yes. I know. It's, like, oh, Like, you're already, like, scene. kind of on a high. You know what I mean? By, like, yeah. you find out she was there for three full months, and you're like, okay, that's incredible. Like, she stayed for three months. Like, in case you guys don't know, like, 90 days is kind of, while 30 days is the the standard that's mostly because of, like, insurance companies, 90 days is actually, like, the preferred therapeutic time in rehab. Like, if if rehab was free and every rehab could get its own way on, like, how long you stayed, it would be not at least 90 days. So, like, I'm like, fuck yeah, Sue Kirk. Like, you stayed for 90 days. And then when she said they're going to pick up Tyler to bring him there for five months, I was like, that's literally the best thing that could ever happen to the two of them. Yeah, without any doubt. And this scene coming up is another one that makes me cry every time. Yeah, so she goes to get Tyler, and right away, like, this is, like, the little kid way of saying, like, you've been the worst mother ever is, you never play with me. Yeah. And Sue's like, or Kirk's like, I know I keep calling her Sue, but her name's actually Sue Kirk. <laughs> right, I know. It's um, so Kirk is like, well, I'll play with you now. And he goes, you're going to leave me like you always do. And she said, I'm not going to leave you. I always tell you I'm not going to leave you. And he's like, no, you don't. And she's like, I'm sorry I never play with you. I'm not going to leave you. Is that better? And I was like, She's yeah, like, are you ever going to forgive me? <laughs> There's this really, really, really sweet moment where she, after she apologizes and he accepts it, because he's just like loves her so much, mm-hmm. she's like staring at him. Mm-hmm. And he's like, what? And she goes, nothing. Like, you can tell that she's looking at him like, oh. through, she's looking at her child through sober eyes for the first time yeah. in a long time. Probably and, first time ever. Yeah. Mean, considering how she was with baby Monica. Like, she's seeing her kid, and it's, like, it's just so intense. Yeah, it's actually startling when you realize, like, has was CPS not involved at all with Tyler? Yeah, I was thinking that, too. Like, do they, I, I, the whole time I'm thinking, do they not care that she has another kid <laughs> who is, like, threatening to murder people? Yeah, because you're like, okay, they they done took her away, but what about him? Like, is he truly just the definition of, like, a little renegade? The government doesn't even know he exists. God, I'll never be over the cousin. They took her. <laughs> and then she goes, her! 
(laughs) 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 And then we find out that Kirk is getting uh, weekend visits with baby Monica. It's like the greatest thing that you could ask for. Yeah. So, I mean, I just love this movie so much. It just, like, every single time I watch it, like I said, it always means something different to me. I always, like, it's so funny because I always fall for its tricks, too. Like, I always, like, laugh really hard, and then I'm immediately like, "Uh uh-oh, I'm a bad person for laughing. (laughs) Like, (laughs) fall into its web every time. Yeah, no, because that's how it feels. Like, Uh like I said, I think the editing decisions in this movie are really genius. I think the storytelling is really genius. I think in another version of this film, it too closely follows one character and it would get bogged down. I think you couldn't have a movie just following Kirk. It would be so fucking dark, Mm -hmm. like dark to a point that no, like no. (laughs) Yep we could not watch that. Like, cause we, then we would have to see scenes of like Tyler slapping Kirk awake. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, because that's what Kirk's life looks like, but because we're flipping between Mamie and Jesco and Mousy and Sue Bob and Brandon and Derek, like we can just see the funny, but also crazy and shocking scenes, shocking scenes is Kirk without needing to get so deep into it. And I think that really goes for all of them. Well, let me ask you this, as to play devil's advocate then. If this, say TLC decided they're going to pick up this, this a, a show about I this family. I cannot believe that never happened. Who is the star? If I mean, TLC decided to turn this into a reality show. I think it stays with Mamie. I do too. I think that it's very clear that she would be. Yeah, I think that the idea of the TLC version of this show, which once again, I cannot believe... Um, you know what network? I can't believe that this wasn't on like Discovery Network, especially oh, yeah. like in 2010, 11, when they were picking up like what I called a lot of boy reality TV shows, you know, yeah. like Alaskan Bush people and yes. like oh, Alaska State Troopers and Doomsday yes. Preppers. This was when I was with my ex-boyfriend. We would watch like the biggest catch and whale wars. Like we watched all of those boy reality TV shows. Mm -hmm. And this I think would have fit in quite moonshiners. Like this would have fit in. They did a show. They called it moonshiners. Oh my Um, God. You're so right. This would have fit in with that. And especially like with that, like weird outlaw thing that they were going for at the time they were, I don't know if they still are, but they were really into like this outlaw version of Mm -hmm. reality TV. Like, from like 2010 to like 2014 on Discovery ID. Or no, not Discovery ID, um, Discovery Channel. And they and A&E had some shows like this too. So yeah, I think that I think that Mamie would have to be the in, but I also think it would depend on the network because I think maybe if this was more of a boy show, they would maybe focus on Derek a little more. Oh yeah, you're right. Yeah, if this was a boy show, it, they would also still, because let's think about it. I mean, like, the producers of Jackass are producing this, and the, yeah. the in was supposed to be... Um, Jesco. Jesco, which makes sense. So they probably would do the same thing on the network. Yeah, I don't think... Th- yeah, I think Jesco would be the face of it. But I don't think... 
I don't think Jessica's reliable enough to like ever have a film crew like just focusing on him. So I think they'd put Jessica in the middle of the. Po- I can like perfectly visualize a poster for this. Me show. too. I'm seeing it in my head. And it's crazy. it would be Jessica with his arms crossed and Mamie with her arms crossed and their back kind of to each other, and then the yeah. rest of the people lined up next to them. <gasps> I definitely think that Mamie would be like, like you said, like the the get. But I think the breakout star would be Mousy. Yeah, Mousy and Derek, probably. Yeah, they'd be like the Snookies of the show where people like wouldn't expect them to like, like yeah. she would get a spinoff about yeah. Fighting Love or something. And you know, just to say it, like this movie is like, as far as like a documentary goes about, I mean, cause this is like, the reason that we fucking love this is cause this is a hour and a half reality TV show, right? Like yes. that's why we love this. Like that's why I've always loved documentaries in general. It's not surprised that like, I love the thing that, oh look it ends up being reality tv basically <laughs> yeah, yeah like but not all docs have this feel but this is reality tv uh just yes. like done in movie form and i would say this is a kind of a boy show oh 1000 percent. even yeah. though it mostly follows women like because there's not a lot of interpersonal drama there's not a lot of um fight like verbal fighting between the characters there's not a lot of i don't know there's not like there's not a lot of backstory there's not it's more just like in your face like bam 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 Mm -hmm. and like a boy reality tv show way it's all shiny things like it's just like and then all of the emotional stuff is stuff that like you pick up on if you want to yeah it's not in your face watch this and like kind of like run right past the emotions yeah i used to for years yeah i mean you would all i'm sure you always at the end were like oh but yeah you it always going, made like, me cry <laughs> the full like emotionally broken psychos like deep dive <laughs> yes this. yeah especially at the beginning like at the beginning yeah. i was just like i was drinking along with them yeah i mean a boone county mini call is so fucking funny that is oh so God. fucking funny like that is one of the funniest bits of all time <laughs> I mean, that really is. taking really a pill is. bottle and calling it a boone county mating call <laughs> that is fucking genius <laughs> just like a, a wealth of funny capable fucking people like just funny like yeah. put a camera on these people and they will entertain you know what it is it's very the osbournes yeah yes 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 1000 percent. where people are just like fucked up on tv being funny yeah <laughs> i know and it's so funny because the osbournes is a show that it took me a long time to realize not that they were fucked up but that that was like a really large element of it that like yeah i remember like season two or three shit reading an interview with sharon where she said people think that Ozzy's brain is fried but he's really just high all the time right and I was like oh because I think all of us especially younger people that were watching it like genuinely just thought like his brain was fried like we did not have a concept of like how high Ozzy was at all times yeah we thought he was just kooky yeah are she and Ozzy still divorced I can't remember no they're together are they because didn't they break up and then she like Kelly leaked his mistress's phone number or something. Yeah, she Remember like that? publicly she publicly shamed him for like che- like cheating mm-hmm. and then she got back with him. Yeah, I mean what's she gonna do? Leave him? Yeah, at this point. But yeah, like I didn't I didn't pick up on any of that until 
years later, like even with Jack and Kelly, like yeah, Kelly being just psychotic and like wanting to fight everybody and and her weight yo-yoing and yeah. 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 Like coming home just dripping in sweat with eyeliner running on her face. It was like, she just went dancing. Yeah. <laughs> and Jack being so fucked up. Like, they were all fucked up. Yeah. All just so fucking high off their asses. Like, such a different show. Isn't that like crazy that. that Sharon, like, put that on TV? Insane. Like, her teenage children, like, Jack wasn't even 18, I don't think. No. Because <laughs> no. remember, they were still, like, being homeschooled. Or yeah, he's still then, going to school. Remember the nanny would drive him to school? Yeah, and they were getting, they kept outing each other for having fake IDs. Yeah. <laughs> we should do an Osborne thing. And they're like, we're British. <laughs> Darling, it's fine. We should do an Osborne special. You know, maybe All right, guys, Christmas in, or something. In three years. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when we're both 40, we'll finally... <laughs> So any final thoughts on the wild and wonderful whites of West Virginia? My only final thought is to like, if this is a movie that you love, like don't let this be the only um, like holler shit that you explore. Like there's a yeah. lot of, a, a lot of stuff that kind of goes with this. That's great that we mentioned at the beginning. Um, I'm telling you, go on loving- YouTube and just like type in West Virginia holler. <laughs> that Dateline thing that you mentioned earlier, was like really fucking good too. Like that, Yes. Don't sleep on it. Yes, there's also a really good documentary that's newish. That's not okay. It's not about West Virginia. It takes place, I believe, in Illinois. And I think it's called Round Hill, Richmond Hill. But okay. it basically follows three poor kids, and it is the like one of them lives with his grandma, and he's like a weird wannabe goth kid. One of them lives with his mom who's like fucking trying, but she, you know, is a single mom of like four kids and just like can't get ahead. And one of them has like drug addict parents and one parent even dies, I think, during it. Um, Let me see what the name of it is. It's so fucking good. It's just about kids in poverty. Okay. And no, not. I'll have to look at what the name of it is. I like found it, you know as one does with documentary documentaries have to come to me. I, I feel that I, they have to speak to you. They really, there do. are so many things where people tell me to watch a doc and I'm like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> never I get do. It. Even though I love documentaries, I love them, but I just, I have to be in the mood to want to watch one. I have to like see it and be like, that speaks to me. And then I have yeah. to watch it. Like, because I've sought it out or like, because like, it's like come to me the perfect time and I'm like willing to accept it. Like I rarely like am going hunting for a doc. The only time I ever go hunting for a documentary, honestly, like really hard is if I want to watch something like, like weird, like super weird, like almost Mm -hmm. like vice landy, like something like a real doll documentary or something, you know what I mean? Like something just super fucking weird. Sometimes I'll catch a trailer for one where I'm like, I have to see that. That happened to semi-recently. HBO in the last year did one called United Skate, I think. And it's a, it was about, it's so good. I, everybody find it on HBO. It's about um, black skating rinks, like black American skating rinks and like roller skating and black American culture. And it's so fucking good. And just about how like, basically these like two white filmmakers like happen to run into these, group of people skate 
like roller skating in Central Park. Okay. And they had thought they had found like the last roller skaters in America. And they're like, oh no, black people still roller skate and fucking love roller skating. Except all Fun. our roller skating rinks are shutting down. And even though, even like these successful roller skating rinks are shutting down because the landlord wants to, doesn't like that a bunch of black people are hanging out there or like just wants to convert it to condo, like for various reasons. But even like these successful roller skating rinks are getting shut down and that there is like this entire subculture of black people doing this thing that most white Americans are like, nobody roller skates anymore. Oh and my God, I really, need to watch this. It, I think it's, John Legend was like a producer on it's on HBO. It's called United Skate or something like that. I saw a commercial for that and was like, oh, I have to watch that immediately. And I did, and it was everything I wanted it to be. Oh, yeah, I'm going to uh, do that. And last year, I, <laughs> I watched Three Identical Strangers because Julie Klausner, one of my favorite comedians, described it as bad for Jews, and it was. <laughs> oh, my God, I love Julie It was. <laughs> it was bad for the Jews, but it was a good movie. Um, I will say the thing that a documentary, for me, is almost rarely, like, as good as it could be. <laughs> and that's where The Wild and Wonderful White of West Virginia really succeeds to me because almost every time I watch a doc I'm left wanting a little more or they didn't give mm, me something mm -hmm. that I wanted mm -hmm. or too long like you got too, too much of something that you didn't want yeah it got too bogged down in something and part of it is just because it's real life and they're not scripting it and it can't be perfect do you know what I mean and it can't yes. have a perfect ending and it's just the difference of watching something scripted or even unscripted reality tv show but heavily story edited um, a doc just isn't going to have that. But like, that's what I love about the wild and wonderful whites is that like, I don't leave feeling that way. I just recently rewatched a documentary that for some reason, I feel like I never talk to people who have seen it, but I'm always like, you have to watch it. It's this old HBO documentary called Dope Sick Love. Oh, I love Dope Sick Love and I use Dope Sick Love as like an adjective and a verb all the time. <laughs> Me too! I'm always like, oh, you don't get it because you don't learn it. I'm it always is... like, ugh, the Dope Sick Love of it all. <laughs> <laughs> that is another one that's just like, you know what? something is so raw that it feels like you're not, you shouldn't be allowed to be mm -hmm. seeing it? Mm -hmm. Like that's one of those things where it's like you just are watching through your fingers because you feel like you're seeing something that you should not be allowed to view like but that's a good example of what we were talking about in the beginning like a doc all about drugs but like if you're watching it like drugs are bad drugs are bad Ooh, mm -hmm. drugs are bad Ooh, let's not do yes. drugs. stop doing drugs please Ooh, don't do yes. drugs yes very it's definitely not celebrated i mean intervention is like kind of based on dope sick love I, yeah one thousand percent like it's if there was no dope sick love like i don't know if there'd be intervention I agree with that. Dope. Oh, God, I love that fucking movie. I yeah. love it for all, I mean, because it makes me sad and it's not like, it's definitely not funny or like fun no. to watch like The Wonderful Whites. But if you've not seen that, it's yeah, a really good Yeah, but sometimes a doc should make you feel like you want to kill yourself. I mean, shouldn't they always? If you go back, here's a tip. I don't know if they're still up, but if you go back to the first time I was on, I believe, like as a guest on Emotionally Broken Psychos, and Molly and I were talking about Vanderpump Rules, and I was saying how I thought in seasons one and two that Kristen and Tom were opiate addicts, 
because I was like, well, you know, like they're dope sick love. Like that was the only way like <laughs> that their relationship made sense to me. I thought they had a mutual drug addiction and that's like why they could not break up with each other. Yes. And I'm pretty positive. I'm like 99% positive because I remember describing it this way that I described them as like dope sick love. Like I frame <laughs> people's relationships that way. He was her Sebastian. Yeah, and because I'm, like, I've been dope sick love. <laughs> like, yeah. that was my IRL for six years. <laughs> yeah. Fuck, uh, yes. Right. Please, if you've not seen that, watch it. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, on whatever thing we post about this on Instagram, everyone share your favorite docs. Yeah, we should start doing more bonus episodes for documentaries. Like, I know, that needs they're to so be a good. thing. They're so for good. For sure. All right, Troy, I'm so, so glad we could do this. Everyone, I hope this was a nice break from your family on Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> yeah seriously again this is a very thanksgiving centric movie um it's a lot full of a lot of ho- holiday charm so oh and i guess we should have maybe i'll i'll loop this in at the beginning but don't this is our episode for the week um yeah. there will not be a new mushroom and a new feathers in my hair i'll be in seattle troy will be with it don't you go to new york for thanksgiving sometimes didn't you go last year I do every year. This is the first year I'm not going in a really long time. I'm just like doing family stuff and having Ina Thanksgiving here. Okay. Uh, yeah, your Ina Thanksgiving. Right, right. Yeah. So Troy will <laughs> yes. be doing his Ina Thanksgiving this week. I'll be in Seattle. So we wanted to pre-record something fun. Um, so sorry for people who listen to both our podcasts. And yeah. uh, But we hope you enjoyed, Troy. Thank you so much for doing this with me. Of course. It was an honor. I'm so happy we finally did it. Same. Love you. Love you too. Bye. Bye. Hey guys, if you like this episode and you want to find us on Patreon, make sure to head on over to patreon.com slash V2 coming soon. That's patreon.com slash V is in Victor, two is in the number, coming soon. And there you can find all of our bonus episodes and now is the Mother May I Sleep With podcast bonus episodes. From my heart, we're this right down dirty white, good old people, hillbillies. Well, my worn out boots are taking.